You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hey guys, it's Brandon, the lead pastor of Redemption City Church, and I'm so excited as we get ready to land the plane on the book of Jonah. But really, there's so much more attached to this sermon, isn't there? Because we're going through this huge transition as a small yet faithful church as we head into the new year, starting with the launching or the relaunching of Making Much of Christ Ministries. And folks, we've been doing this journey together for about two and a half years since June 9th of 2019. And so what better way to celebrate celebrate the book of Jonah and to glorify God and just to lift up all that he's been doing than to go right into the Word of God for a three-hour sermon experience. And, and I know that sounds crazy and that that's going to be like a huge mountain for us to climb, but I really do believe that we're up for the task. But we do have much work to do, so let's get to it so that I can get to preaching right now. Why don't you come walk with me and join me as we, as we get ready for God's Word. Oh man, let's activate that privileged position today. Turn up, let's go. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open to the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10, and we're going to be all up in this beautiful book of the Bible in just a little bit. As we land the plane today in our Jonah series, I just want to remind you that, that this series has been all about a story of God's compassion and our opportunity to join him in it. And as we conclude it all today, I just want to remind you that, that our aim throughout the entire Jonah series has been to lay down a very firm foundation that the Old Testament and the stories that often seem outlandish and distant and, and totally removed from our culture today are altogether practical and, and relevant and infinitely important for our lives as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians. And, and the book of Jonah has, has been um, specifically revealed to us by God and is most definitely for God in order that we might avoid some of the dangers, right? And some of the trappings of our, of our hostile and sometimes unforgiving heart towards the people that God decides to pursue and offer redemption to. Therefore, the, the aim of quick obedience and not delayed obedience, which, with, which is just a fancy way of saying disobedience, is going to be our aim transformationally even today as we land the plane on the book of Jonah. And, and that brings us to today praise Christ, to, to part seven, our concluding series of Jonah, and it's titled, Tough Endings, A Good God, and Gospel-Centered Perspectives and Opportunities. And, and folks, somehow we've made it. We've made it to another conclusion of another whole book of the Bible today. And, and I find that to be incredible. Folks, after 13 and a half faithful hours of preaching and, and you engaging with the sermons as an active listener, we're poised to land the plane on this glorious book of Jonah today. And, and I don't know how you feel about that, but let me be the first one to say that I think that's a, a really big deal. Like, like the fact that we studied verse upon verse and theme upon theme and precept upon precept from the very first word of Jonah chapter one. And by the end of today's sermon, the last word, in chapter 4, folks, I think that's just a, 
a really big deal. And, and if you remember, we opened up the whole series in part one talking about the great danger that we're living in in Christian culture of, of the people of God becoming more and more biblically illiterate. Folks, we just don't know our Bibles anymore. Therefore, for, for us here at, at RCC and, and those who are actively participating in multiple state lines to, to walk away with so much richness and, and so much depth into the heart of God and, and the Word of God, it just overwhelms me today with immense with immense joy. And, and I hope that you're growing now in, in confidence about understanding the Bible each and every week that you're engaging with sermons here. Because even if, check this out, even if you only end up remembering 25% of, of all we've discussed in this series, you're, you're leaving 25% wiser and, and 25% deeper than you were before, and dare I say more, more than most. So, so you are most definitely ahead of the class now. Isn't, isn't that exciting? And so, so in some ways, today's sermon is going to be your graduation class, praise Christ, because you are officially going to be certified and radically equipped to be a disciple maker and to lead someone else now into the truth about who God is and, and what he has to say, at least specifically in this book of the Bible. So, but let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We don't want to start handing out diplomas and, and report cards yet because we still have our final exam today in, in chapter 4 of Jonah, and it's deep and it's wide and, and it's going to be tough. And so let's, let's explore all that God has for us in this concluding sermon. So, so fasten your seatbelts. Let's, let's buckle in because God's still talking to Jonah in chapter 4, and he's still dealing with this, this massive concept of rebellion and, and our part in it. So let's bow our heads right away and let's get into the thick of everything. Father, in Jesus' name, we just sang some, some songs to you that remind us of your amazing power and, and presence in our lives. And, and Jesus, we just cling to those promises that we sang today to our best ability. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to cling to those promises of the future where we have the opportunity to be with you again. But Lord, help us to also cling to the promises of the cross because you said that we are a new creation and, and you said that all the old things have passed away and, and become new and, and you said that he who knew no sin became sin so we could have eternal life. And, and you sent your son Jesus to be born into a sinful world and yet Jesus abstained from temptation and, and from the pitfalls that we find ourselves dabbling into every day. And, and you did it all. You did all of this so that you could offer yourself as a sacrifice for us in a hero-rescuing way. And, and Father God, there's no greater story than your story. And, and so we study your word through this story, and we ask now for your word to give us fuel for our journey and that it would provide light for our path and, and correction for our folly and, and comfort for our hearts. Oh, Lord, give us instruction, radical instruction for our questions and, and wisdom for all of our dilemmas and, and defense from our enemies and boldness to withstand against opposition. Father, we thank you for what you've already done and we humbly expect you to continue to do more today, infinitely more today, because that is who you are and that's your character. And, and you've asked us to come to you into your throne room, into your throne room, 
full of grace and, and full of mercy and to boldly ask for help in our time of need. And we need you. We need you. The people of God are declaring that they need you. You, you petitioned us to petition you. So Jesus, we ask for your mercy today. And, and now as we, as we study your word and, and, and we declare that we are by choice and, and we're doing it not by force. So, so with the time we have left in this ancient book, Father, help us to continue to draw near to you, resisting the devil, trusting that you will draw near to us again today. It's because of your beautiful, beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's let's open our Bibles to the last verse of, of chapter 3 because it's going to be our spirit-filled diving board. It's all that God has for us in the weightiness of chapter 4. So, so here it is, verse 10, chapter 3. It's, it's on your screen. And the word of the Lord said, When God saw what they did, and we're referring to the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil... The evil ways. And, and we talked about these Ninevites and how bad these people really were, right? Well, we're going to do that again because it's infinitely important because honestly, folks, most of us simply don't have the capacity to really understand and imagine the, the depths of, of how bad these Ninevites truly were. So, so let me do the, the best I can for a little bit to, to unpack that for us. Like, like, have you ever been to the movies and, and seen the movie 300 or, or perhaps Rambo 1 or all those really gory songs? horror movie films. Like, have you seen those? Okay, so imagine taking 300 and Rambo and, and those Saw movies and combining them all together and you sort to have kind of a picture of the evil and the sadistic tendencies these Ninevites had. But but listen to me, these guys were even worse than all that. And I'm not joking. There, there really isn't a movie out here today, even in our vulgar culture, that would really depict as boldly at what these Ninevites did on, on a screen right now. So, for example, let me, let, let me help you understand this. These Ninevites were known for attacking their enemies and, and using fish hooks. Fish hooks, but folks, not a little one. The size of like, you know, Captain Hook from Peter Pan and his whole arm that was a fish hook? They're like that big, and they would take these hooks and, and stick it through one side of the victim's cheek, all the way through their mouth outside, and then curl it around to the other side of the cheek, and then they would pierce it further deep out, down through the collarbone, up and around. Folks, then they would do that, and they would drag their victims across the desert back to Nineveh. Are you kidding me? This, this is grotesque. And, and folks, most people would die. They would die even before they got dragged anywhere because the pain was so great and the blood loss was so significant that they didn't, they didn't last. And for the really unlucky ones, folks, they would be dragged through the desert all the way back to Nineveh. So, so folks, these Ninevites would mutilate, are you tracking, and, and dismember people's bodies systematically. Folks, these people were B-A-D bad news. So when verse 10, are you seeing what I'm doing? I want you to feel this. When verse 10 says, God saw them turn from their evil ways, I do not want you to miss how earth-shattering and supernatural of a deal and an event this was. This was a huge, huge revival. These Ninevites had their Christ-centered headlights turned on, and they began to see clearly and seek the Lord wholeheartedly. And folks, this was a major, 
major revival. Now, now, do you think the Lord responded with, with a grudge or a bone to pick with these people saying, uh, uh, No way. No, no way. It's not going to be that easy. You can't just turn from that kind of evil and expect me to receive you, especially after everything you've done. Right. Like, like, that makes sense, right? Like, that God would probably say something like that. But, but let's look at how he responds right here in verse 10. And, and it's, on, it's on your screen. So, verse 10 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, what does it say? God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Oh, man, this is crazy. This is absolutely Willy Wonka bonkers crazy. It's so outlandish. It's over the top, and it's out there. And our man Jonah... Ultimately, folks, he just couldn't handle it. And, and I'm trying so hard to make sure that you do not approach what I'm saying in the text with a laggardly mindset today because, because I don't want you to miss the severity of what Jonah was experiencing as a normal man during the situation. So I, I need to ask you a very critical question right now to, to make sure that I help you to feel the energy that's happening right here in verse 10, our, our spirit-filled diving board. So, so here's the critical question. It's, it's on your screen. Would you, would you be at peace with a sadistic serial killer um, known for taking the lives of 25 people and grotesquely dismembering their victims' bodies, re receiving a second chance from the Lord, and then living near you, shoulder to shoulder, at church and in your neighborhood today with your family. And, and this would be a both-and situation, folks. I just want you to know that because, because they would be receiving both a, a second chance e eternally and regarding salvation, right? And they would be receiving a second chance in the earth realm as well regarding new opportunities to just exist and to kind of go about living potentially a happy God-centered life. And they'd be doing that right next to you. So tell me, how would you how would you respond? And if you answer genuinely from your heart, I, I, I really believe most of you will see that you aren't too far from where our man Jonah was, was landing at all. And so, and so today's portion of scripture is going to be a really sad story about Jonah. And we're going to see a really, folks, a really tough ending. Because folks, Jonah could not handle the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the forgiveness and the forbearance and the patience and the long suffering and the mercy of God on radical display here. Like folks, even though he, Jonah himself was a representative of God, he couldn't find association with God's desire and God's disposition and God's rationale when it applied to these wicked these very wicked people. Folks, Jonah wanted nothing to do with the extended hand of God specifically aimed at these Ninevites. The, the grace and the mercy of God that was being extended to these people was too inflammatory. It was, it was too misguided according to Jonah's heart and how, and how Jonah felt. And so this is a really sad story, not only because we're going to see Jonah's refusal, right? But, but folks, this is going to be a really tough story and a, and a sad story because statistically we're going to see our own hearts like Jonah's in it on this subject matter as well. And we're going to see that so many of us are going to end perhaps in that same place Jonah ended unless, unless the Holy Spirit guides us today 
to begin having a spirit-filled revival right within our own hearts. Unless the Holy Spirit activates each and every one of us as individuals to to draw a mighty spirit-filled circle around ourselves and to say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to lead me. Because, because folks, God is going to rebelliously move forward with, with compassion. It's going to happen to a group of people who needed it so badly in this story. And folks, in some ways, these folks needed it. They just needed it the most. And, and, and I'm going to unpack that later. And, and the reason I'm trying to create this weight and this tension and, the, and this energy right now is to set the stage because most of us folks are dangerously dangerously similar to Jonah in this regard. We, 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 when, when something happens in our lives and in our culture, especially if they happen to be in what I'm calling the, the fatal five crimes of, of our culture today, namely sexual abuse or, or murder or, or rape or terrorism or, or kidnapping, these fatal five crimes, when they happen in our culture today, when one of those happen, we off with their heads, right? We, we have no mercy and we want, we want people to punish punished and we want people to have severe consequences and and i get that because we want justice and we want retribution and we want payback and we want blood now and we in our hearts we say things like lord you have got to take care of this or i'm gonna right that's kind of how we how we act when we see these fatal five crimes happen in our in our culture and folks i'm saying all of this to make sure that you fully fully recognize that these ninevites were perpetrators, historically proven perpetrators of all five of these fatal crimes and much, and much more. They abused children. They raped women from the places that they conquered. They kidnapped children and enslaved them into their own culture when necessary. They murdered thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, and they were the epitome of being terrorists. And God was relentlessly in pursuit of these people to offer them redemption. So yes, folks, this is a very difficult conversation and a very difficult book, and this is a very difficult moment for Jonah and many of us today, especially if this hits close to home and, and with great circumspection, the Lord says to us, How about you pray for your enemies? Brandon, your name who's listening, how about you also serve your enemies? So so when we're like, Yeah, Lord, bring it, go, go get these mofos and, and punish them and, and punish them and, and make them pay for what they did, the Lord's like, No. No, that's not me. That's not me. You're not thinking like me because my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. For I declare, come to the waters, you who are thirsty, and come to the and come to me those who are hungry. If you have no money and you can't get what you need, come to the front of the line. And and that's why we are studying the book of Jonah today and committing ourselves to learning the scripture verse upon verse and precept upon precept. We do we don't read God's word, folks, just to have just to tickle our ears and to have our back scratched to make us feel better, but rather we read God's word to help us to orientate and and reorientate and and then again reorientate and remind ourselves that sometimes sometimes God is just flat out He's just different than us, and, and we don't get that. And, and sometimes we're, we are so far from God, and we need to really focus on journeying 
back to him and, and his perspectives and, and his prerogatives because our hearts, folks, they're just, they're just not like his, especially when we're not close to the book. Okay, so, so let me provide you with this example, this example from Proverbs chapter 25 to show the, the great distance. I, I, I want to create categories today, okay? So in Proverbs 25, we're going to look at the great distance between, between our heart from, from God's heart. Okay, so, so here it is, Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22. Okay, here, here's how God thinks through this. If your enemy, not your friend, not your neighbor, not your brother, not your cousin, your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Uh, okay, so so what is this verse communicating? Like, what are the implications, and what do you think the Lord is really trying to say here? Because because many Christians often will say things like this: "I, I got it, Pastor Brandon. I got it, Pastor Brandon." Basically, God wants us to to try to treat our enemies nicely as a, as a way to to punish them, Pastor Brandon. And and God says that if we just treat them nicely and we do our part and we do it well enough, that He's going to do the punishment and He's going to go and He's going to be coming for justice and He's going to punish them and punish them. And that's why it says he's going to put burning coals on their head. Uh, okay, so, so if that's what you're thinking, I want you to know right now that you're dead wrong. You're so dead wrong. You see, historically, oh, I love talking about the text. You see, historically, people of this time, folks, they didn't have lighters like we use to light fires. And, and so when your fire went out, particularly in the winter, this was a tremendous affliction and could be a death sentence for a whole family. So, so you had to learn how to survive through the night in the winter. It was. It was critical. So if your fire actually ran out, you would need to have that fire rekindled in some way a form or, or fashion. And oftentimes you would be dependent upon a, a, a kind of a long distance neighbor, or you would have to find some remedy to the situation. Okay. So in order to get this assistance practically, your, your neighbor would come and take a cauldron of some, of some sort, and they put a bunch of coals of fire in it, and they put it on top of their own head. They put it on top of their own head and they would carry it long distances to bring it to your house to offer you the fire. And, it, and, and the only way that you could carry it long distances for almost every family, unless you were wealthy and had a horse, was to put it, put these coals on top of your head. Okay, so, so keeping the burning coals on top of your head historically in this biblical time period was, was actually a massive sign of respect for your neighbor because it was laborious and it was painful and it was difficult, but you would do it for the benefit of another family who could not survive. Oh man, like, like can't you see all throughout scripture, God is showing his compassion and his grace and his mercy. And even when he's showing that in the text of Proverbs, we still hear it from our hostile heart. So we hear burning coals and we think punishment and God talks burning coals and he thinks and he thinks mercy. And I hope that you are being forever changed by, by what I'm teaching you in this series of Jonah, both about, about God's heart and, and the Old Testament in general, because the New Testament picture that we love talking about of Jesus's compassion is ruling and reigning all over the place throughout the Old Testament, and it's aimed, it's aimed at God. And, and I want you to understand that Jesus came to represent the Father, 
not to replace him. Therefore, he wasn't demonstrating a, a new love or an improved love or, or a deeper love at all. Instead, he was just exemplifying and magnifying in human form a love that was already established. It was an exact copy of the love that God had already been demonstrating all throughout all throughout the Old the Old Testament. Okay, now folks, I'm willing to be the first to say to you that I'm learning day by day the Lord's heart, just like everyone else, okay? I just am. The Lord has called me to communicate His Word and to teach it as a representative of His very heart in Scripture. And when I think about that, that's a weighty, weighty responsibility. But folks, I want to remind you that always and forever, I'm a student first. I am forever and always a student of the word, just like you. So, so no matter how much I study God's word and, and I preach God's word, I want you to know that I still get surprised. I still get surprised in the Bible. I still get surprised when I'm studying about God's movement sometimes, and I still get corrected, and I'm going to say praise Christ, from the Bible about who God is when my heart takes me off track as your pastor. And, and, and that's because God is so different and he thinks so differently than me, okay? He, God thinks so much differently than your lead pastor. So I'm severely limited in that way. But, but what I've resolved, resolved to do and what keeps me at the head of, of this spiritual maturity class is my awareness and my internal peace and my glad submission that he's always better and he's always bigger and he's always deeper. And he always, he just is. And, and I want you to understand that you are severely limited too. And that's okay. And, and that's why we have to stay close to the book, so close to the book, so we can remind ourselves day after day that God is different than us, so we can then move our hearts more towards his heart. And like I said in part one of this series, once King Josiah, remember him? Once King Josiah remembered that truth, once he, once he remembered to stay close to the book and he didn't allow it to collect a vast amount of dust in that old dusty closet, folks, he was able to get his life back on track to be that godly leader over that godly, that godly nation. Okay, okay, okay. So, so here's Jonah and he's getting a paycheck and he's living on God's payroll as, as a prophet by position, yet he's still not getting this. He's not getting it. So, so here's the story about God right here in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Let's look at this again on your screen. Okay, so God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not he just didn't do it. Okay, now again, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that if God um, decides and declares to bring a calamity on a people, we, we learn this in the Old Testament, so when God decides and declares that he's going to bring a calamity on a group of people for their activity, but those people, without delay, decide that they're going to relent from doing that evil, oftentimes God will relent throughout the Old Testament from bringing that calamity. So, so above all things, I just want you to know right now, before we even dive deeper, repent, repent. You just got to repent. No matter how deep you think you've been in sin and no matter how long you've been in sin, it's not too late. And that is what God is showing us. And he's magnifying this 
right here in the book of Jonah. Okay, now now pay attention. Repenting doesn't mean to make things all better now. You know, it's like make it all better now. Like like you can't really go into your past. You can't change things that have already been done. But what you can do as you experience revival and you're experiencing genuine repentance, what you can do is call your sin, folks, what it is without excuses, which is sin. That's what you can do. You you can confront it radically and you can confess it and bring it into the light. Like, like don't call sin a disorder. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't call it genetics. Don't you hide behind that. Don't call it a, a disposition, whatever that means. Don't you, don't you dare do that. Don't you blame it on your daddy and your mommy. Don't do that. Your sin is your sin and you got to deal with it. That's that's your part, and that's what you can do. So, so just turn around and, and go the opposite way and, and change your direction. That is what it means to repent. And when you do that, all of a sudden, grace and mercy and kindness and forbearance and, and, and all, this is a really big one, healing, folks. Healing, all that starts to take place. And, and we're going to see Jonah, unlike the Ninevites, which totaled over a few million people doing this in unity supernaturally. Folks, we're going to see Jonah unable to get on his knees and to make that change of direction. He won't repent. He won't call his sin what it is, which is sin. And I want you to know that this book will end with Jonah not being able to do it. Jonah's not going to show up. Folks, we're going to see that Jonah cannot look at a situation and he won't look at the heart of his sin and he won't see it. He won't feel it. He won't call it out for what it is. Okay? Because as the story transpires today, you're going to see why this is one of the saddest stories, arguably, throughout the whole Bible. Okay, so let's keep trekking forward into this, this, very, this very true historical story. Okay, okay so, so here's what happens. A few million people are forgiven all of a sudden. And, and there's revival and there's rejoicing and there's life groups starting all over the place. You've got small groups happening everywhere. You've got church plants popping up all throughout the city of, of, of Nineveh. You have new believers repenting and apologizing to each other and to God. You've got people paying back things that they owed and, and you've got people making amends for things they did wrong relationally. You've got captives that are either being released altogether back to their homelands or you have captives that are being radically treat it nicely and are becoming embedded into the Ninevite culture as an equal participant and citizen. Like, are you kidding me? This, this is crazy. And for 150 years, these Ninevites thrived and they served the Lord, praise Christ, and they became spirit-filled believers. Yet, yet historically, we, we know this as well. Unfortunately, the Ninevites' great, great, great grandchildren would forget the book again just like King Josiah's godly nation. Just like that, they would forget the words of, of God. And 150 years later, indeed, God, God would bring calamity upon them again. So, so God judged this nation 150 years later after, after all those who lived for God and had lived spirit-filled lives had passed away. God would judge 
their, their descendants and deal with them as well. And, and this is a powerful place for, uh, for us to one day have like a, a Deuteronomy family discipleship sermon series on, on, on a different day to really talk about the importance, the, the importance of, of parents discipling and training your kids up in the Lord and making sure that you are helping them to make their faith their own. Because folks, let me tell you right now, if you're a parent, you, your, your faith is not your children, and you need to help foster an environment where they can discover God for who they are, because when you are gone and you die, they're going to be left with what they really believed about their God. Okay, okay, so, so, we, so how did these zealous, zealous, spirit-filled, excited believers, great, great, great grandchildren arrive in this great sin again a hundred and fifty years later like how do they go from being a spirit-filled godly nation with church plants everywhere for a whole hundred and fifty years but yet end end in a place of sin again well let me tell you we don't know folks we don't know because jonah wouldn't go there and jonah wouldn't stay in nineveh like god told him to do he would not pastor these people into maturity he would not do the work of ministry that he was called to he would not help to mature these new believers from a place of spiritual infancy to a place of of spiritual maturity so so we don't know we don't know how they officially arrived there because there was no more story to be recorded here in the book of Jonah, because Jonah walks away, folks. He walks away. And, and, and that's why this book doesn't have an ending. It just ends in the middle of a conversation, and he just walks away from the Lord in the middle of a conversation. Okay, so, so we need, are, are you getting this? We need, I hope I'm setting the stage for you in, in verse 10 for the, the diving board in the chapter 4, because we need to radically get underneath what transpired here in chapter 4. What happened? Because we need to know that. So we're going to explore that now in a real way as we, as we jump into chapter 4. So here we go, verse 1, chapter 4. What in the world has happened? Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. Okay, so, so remember, verse 10 said, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them because the advice repented, right? They experienced revival, and he did not do it. Verse 1, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Okay, so so in the Hebrew language, the original language that the story was was penned in, it expressed that I want you to know that this frustration and the intensity of how much Jonah was feeling angry was extremely, extremely profound. Folks, I'm not usually one to say this in a sermon. It's not my style, but but this one in particular is worth every one of you doing an individual word study in the original Hebrew language because our English words simply do not cut it. It doesn't touch the level of extreme hostility and rage that Jonah had at this juncture. And you need to get this because if you want to know why the book of Jonah has no ending, you want to know why that Jonah didn't stay, you need to understand it starts right here. Jonah was displeased exceedingly. Okay, so, so, so then Jonah prays this in, in verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh, Lord, and, and I want you to know that the tone um, contextually in the Hebrew language was a very sarcastic and, and an arrogant tone that Jonah was carrying. And I, and I want you to know that Jonah was saying, please, Lord, uh, f- give me a freaking break with all this ridiculousness. Oh, Lord, have you lost your mind? I mean it. Have you lost your mind? What in the world are you doing? Uh, uh, okay, quick question. Have you ever talked to the Lord like that? Just tell the truth. 
maybe not audibly, but in your heart. Like, like have you ever said, oh, Lord, what's going on in, in my marriage? And, oh, Lord, what's going on in, in my situation? And, oh, Lord, when are you going to show up? And, oh, Lord, when are you going to get more, more active? O okay, so, so Jonah's talking like that, right? And he, and he continues on in, in verse 2, and he, and he says this. He says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and, and relenting from disaster. Oh, folks, Jonah, Jonah's leaning in. Okay, okay, so so Jonah's hearing the Lord, like like obviously he's hearing the Lord because he he made it out of that belly of the whale moment, right? But but it's quite apparent right here, folks, that that Jonah isn't really listening to the Lord. He's not really he's hearing, but he's but he's not hearing. Like like have you ever talked to someone and 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 they said back to you, uh, Brandon? What are you talking about right now? It, it, it's obvious that you didn't hear anything that I just said based upon how you're responding to me in, in the way you're responding to me. Because, because Jonah was saying, Oh, Lord, I, I knew you were nice, and, and I knew you were kind, and I did know you were forgiving and forbearing, and I knew you were the God of long-suffering and, and that you were slow to anger. I knew all of that. But this right here to these people? <laughs> and I imagine God saying, What? What about what I'm doing, Jonah? What's going on here with you? Why all the frustration and why all the hostility and why all the problems, my son? I told you very clearly from the beginning who I am and, and what I'm about and, and what I'm calling you to do here in the land of Nineveh. We had this conversation in the belly of the well. Were you not listening? Uh, okay, let's, let's look at verse 3 now. It keeps getting, it keeps getting more and more weighty. Okay, so, so Jonah then says, uh, therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life. I got, and so Jonah's saying, oh, I'm listening now and I get it. Okay, so here, here's what I'm going to do. Take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And folks, what he was saying is, it's better for me to die than to live and do these things that, that you're calling me to do. Uh, okay, now, now believe it or not, Jonah is going to rephrase this another time later in chapter 4 in just, in just a little bit, and it gets even worse. So, so like, what's going on with our man Jonah? Folks, what's going on? Because, because Jonah is so ticked off and he's so revved up and he's so heated about the grace and the mercy of God flowing through the streets of Nineveh and he wants out. And I mean, he wants out of life itself now. Jonah was so against these people's salvation and restoration that he preferred to die as opposed to living amongst these perpetrators of these fatal five crimes. Yet, yet the Bible says that, that when one sinner, we, we, we've, you've heard this right in church, you've definitely heard it here at RCC, when, when one sinner repents, the entire heavens throw a massive party rejoicing and singing and dancing about the repentant individual's progress. Folks, that's what happens in heaven when one sinner repents. Okay, well, we have a few million individual one sinners repenting in the millions and our man Jonah is deciding in this moment to get suicidal. And unfortunately, Jonah's acting like a big baby right now, isn't he? And, and he needs a big spanking, and he needs a big timeout, and some discipline. And most importantly, he most definitely needs a renewal of his perspectives. Like, like can't you see? Jonah's main problem is that he's self-deceived and he's self-seeking. 
I'm going to say it to you again. His main problem that I want you to see right from verse 1 when it says, and, he w- and Jonah was displeased exceedingly, the main two problems was that he was, that he was self-deceived and he was, self, he was self-seeking. And welcome to America, folks, because that's, that's our problem too. That, that's my problem and that most definitely is your problem. Self-deception and, and self-seeking is our biggest issue as well. Okay, so so self-deception, so we can all work together, is when you believe something that isn't true, yet you want it to believe you want it to be true and, and you believe it, you believe it anyways. And and self-seeking means that you're self-absorbed, like you're you're radically focused on, on yourself and you're self-entitled and you think you deserve things and, and you're self-centered and you think everything revolves around you as the, the center of the universe and, and you're just ultimately selfish. And please do not minimize or ignore the significance significance of what I'm laying out right now, because please understand and rest assured, these two realities are happening in your heart. No one, folks, no one is exempt. Um, 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 well, actually, Pastor Brandon, my main problem is actually with the Ninevites. No, 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 it's not. Um, well, actually, Pastor Brandon, my biggest problem is my spouse and the government and my pastor and my job and my... No, 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 it's not. It's not your main problem. Stop it. But, but if you allow yourself to believe that your greatest problems are any of these things, folks, you're going to miss it so badly like Jonah, and I don't want that for you. And it's so sad that he's missing the point, yet, yet just, look, just, look at, just look at verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Wow. Do you do well to, to, to be angry? Man, God is so patient, isn't he? He's so patient because Jonah is having a full-blown temper tantrum. And yet God is still being a good, a good father, waiting for his child to catch his breath after this humongous temper tantrum. He calmly waits for Jonah, Jonah's fit to get over with so he can check in on our man Jonah and to ask him a question. And only if we could carry that like our father with our children on a regular and consistent and daily basis, right? Okay, so so God comes with compassion, folks, and gentleness and patience and urging Jonah to calm down, to calm down and to look at the situation with, with clear eyes. And, and with that disposition, God leans into Jonah. He doesn't lean out. He doesn't lean, he doesn't lean and get big on him. He, he leans into Jonah with, with a gentle disposition. And, and he says, Jonah, is, is this really worth dying over, my son? Are you being a little irrational in this moment? Do you really have a right to be this angry, my son? Are you sure you're thinking through all this? Very well. well and and what we what we don't see is is God pushing his face in Jonah's face or or God smashing his finger in Jonah's in Jonah's chest, right? We don't see that. We don't see God demanding and, and being belligerent and angry and, and hostile at all. Instead, we see the hand of a of a steady and a stable and a secure father being patient and being kind and being so willing to process with his son in conflict. I, I want to say that again. We don't see the the mighty, hostile, wrathful God's hand that is often talked about in the Old Testament, do we? We see a God who is leaving the heavens. We say, Jesus left and he came down to dwell with us. But we see God coming down to Jonah's level and he's allowing Jonah to wrestle and he's patiently processing with his son. 
who's in conflict. And, and if you go back and you look throughout all the Bible stories in the Old Testament, you're going to see God doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, and no matter how bad we're blowing it, he comes with this, this amazing disposition. People like Adam and Eve, he does it with people like Adam and Eve when he was like, hey, Adam and Eve, what's, what's going on down here? Would you, let, would you like to let me know where you've made a few mistakes? Why are you, why are you covering yourself, yourself up? And, and everywhere you look, everywhere you look and everywhere you turn, God is constantly giving people opportunities He's a God of second chances, praise Christ. So, so any pressure um, that you are experiencing right now and, and any questions that, that God is asking of you that, that seem super difficult and, and super tough and, and any people that God has, has sent to your life or is going to send to your life or has sent to your life and they start drilling you about something and drilling you about something, it's always an opportunity. It's not a punishment. It's always an opportunity for you to absorb the truth. It's an opportunity for, for you to absorb the truth and to call out your sin for what it is and to repent so you can get about living in that revival place. And, and, and God is, is so kind in that he gives us opportunities to converse with him, the God of the universe, and to state our case about our stuff that we're going through. Do you get that? The fact that you get to talk to God and state your case at all tells you everything about his his disposition but the minute that you start defending and minimizing and fabricating and shifting blame and entering into a place of shame things go radically different folks in and all the wrong and devastating devastating ways Okay, well, 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 God just asked Jonah a very simple question. While, while Jonah is, is angry and, and belligerent and hostile, God gently challenges Jonah to consider if he should be angry, folks, in the first place. And, 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 and evidently, there's, there's no answer given to Jonah for even this question. So, so God asks Jonah this question, and Jonah doesn't even respond, folks. He, he doesn't respond at all. He just kind of, well, well, let me show you what he does right here. It's, it's in verse verse 5. It's on, your, it's on your screen. So literally, God asks the question in, chapter, in, in verse 4, and he says, do you, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Jonah ignores the question, and then verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and, and and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Folks, Jonah is so bent in his ways and he's so bent out of shape that he just says, I'm done. No, nope, I'm done. I'm done talking about this. I'm not answering any more of these questions. I'm leaving this city. I'm definitely leaving this conversation with you, God. And I'll just see what happens from, from this point forward to these wicked Ninevites um, without having to talk to them or you. I don't want no part of it. And to be clear, don't talk to me, God. I don't want you talking to me. And I don't want to talk to the Ninevites. Leave me alone. I want to be left alone. Okay, quick question. Have you ever wanted to be left alone too? 
Have you ever acted like that? Like, have you ever been so deep in, in, into your sin and into your rebellion, into your rebellious spirit that you don't want anyone trying to reach out to you to help you at all? Like, have you ever told someone that, that, um, that uh, excuse me, have you ever told someone that you're not trying to have really speak into your life at that time or give you counsel and, and then you told them to go away because you want to isolate yourself and, and, and you don't want to be a part of any of that wisdom or accountability at all? Okay, so let me just tell you right now, here's why you do that and, how, and why we do that in those type of seasons that we're in and, and why we want to be so radically alone and isolated. Okay, so you remove yourself from community and you want to be isolated in those ways because you don't want anyone fostering an environment where you actually have to chew on the reality, folks, of your situation. Folks, the worst thing possible for a person who wants to stay in sin and wants to stay in the rebellious spirit is the Lord sending someone in the middle of your muck and mire and to try to offer you some real wisdom. So, so you avoid it like the plague, don't you? That's, that's what we do. You just keep declaring and declaring that you want to be left alone. And that's because you don't want to deal with your sin. Okay, so when when we just want to be alone, it's, it's because we don't want any input. Track with me, because I'm not just talking about horizontally. I'm talking about vertically with our God when he's trying to speak to you in your life. And when you ignore him under the guise of you can't hear God speaking to you. Okay, so when you don't want anyone speaking wisdom into you horizontally or vertically, it's because you don't want any input and you most definitely don't want to adjust your position. And when you do that, you're doing that and you're being self-centered and you're being self-deceived and you're being self-absorbed and you're being self-entitled. Folks, in those seasons, that behavior is revealing that you are content believing lies and you are frustrated because something didn't go your way. And you're pouting about that and you're mad about that and you're irritated about that. It, it could be a life situation or a circumstance or relationship, but you're mad about something that didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. And you're frustrated. It's revealing that something didn't turn out the way you liked and now you don't want anyone talking to you anymore. Okay, so so Jonah resolves to go out to the outside of the city to collect a little tan, right? He wants to get a little tan outside of the city, away from both the presence of these Ninevites and the presence of God. But yet, yet again, Jonah is underestimating radically the cost of his rebellion for a temporary gain of activating his present feelings. Don't do that because I want you to know that outside of the confines of Nineveh, there was a scorching desert with no water and no relief present for Jonah. But, but that's what our sin does, folks. It leads us to make irrational decisions in our lives, and it's costly. It's so costly. that And, and, and these irrational decisions that we do when we're stuck in our sin— Man, it hurts us, and it robs us, and it increases our pain and our disappointment. But look at our God, folks. Look at our God. Praise God as we deconstruct the false narrative about the God of the Old Testament right here. Let's, let's track now to, to verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up, over Jonah, that it, excuse me, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
Are you kidding me? What is God doing over here? Well, well, let me tell you, God is giving Jonah another opportunity. He's a God of second and third and tenth and fifteenth chances. He's giving Jonah another chance while simultaneously providing for Jonah. And we see that in the New Testament, right? Jesus came to, and he came as a provider and a healer and a, a visionary to give people a new story. And here is God giving Jonah provision, giving Jonah a, a spirit-filled conversation about a new, a new vision. He, he's saying, Jonah, it's going to be really, really hot over here on the east side of, of this land because that's where the sun comes up on the east, Jonah, and I don't think you took account for that. It's going to be incredibly scorching over there. In fact, it's going to probably kill you if you if something doesn't happen. So, so here's what I'm going to do for you, my son. I'm going to give you a supernatural plant that's going to spring out of the dirt of sand with no water in it, and it's going to completely shade you from this death sentence that you have walked into on your own volition. I'm going to provide you with supernatural intervention because I love you so, so much, my son. I love you so much, Jonah, that I don't want you to get baked in the sun of your sin. I love you so much that I'm going to continue keeping you alive on earth so that you would have more opportunities to choose me again. I'm going to help you to live another day, my son, and I want you to choose me so that you may have eternal, eternal life. And, and the Bible tells us right here, and I don't want you to miss this because it is the only time, it's the only time it occurs throughout the whole book of Jonah because it says, Jonah was exceedingly glad, exceedingly glad, high glad, massively, massively pleased. Folks, this is the only account in the entire book where Jonah shows any pleasure and, and any real joy at all. It's only here when God provides for him this, this sunshade. Okay, can't you see? Jonah is self-deceived and, and he's self-absorbed and he's self-entitled and is only receiving joy, only receiving joy when he gets things from God that he wants. We, we saw that when he, when he was, when he, <laughs> let's keep checking. I don't, don't want to get ahead of myself. Therefore, there, there's, there's over a million people. There's over a million people rejoicing in the city of Nineveh they're, they're, because they're not going to hell anymore. This is, this is supernatural, life-changing stuff. So you got millions of people that are rejoicing inside the city because they're not going to hell. And our man Jonah is out here like, eh, who cares? That's no big deal. It's actually stupid anyway. I, I want them all to go to hell. But yet, but yet, he gets himself a little sunshade and he's like, ah, at last, finally something goes to well for me. Finally, things are turning in my direction. Like, like what a narcissist, right? Because the only thing, folks, Jonah can see right now in this moment, and the only thing that he can process and rejoice about from the Lord are things that are directly towards his personal benefit, not what is occurring with the millions upon millions of blessings that are happening in this city. That is sobering. He's, he is not able to tap into millions of blessings going on in the city because, because he can't fill it and it's not for him. But the moment he gets something that's for him, he's exceedingly pleased with the Lord. 
And folks, I, I want you to know that I believe this plant that God provided supernaturally was designed to woo Jonah back into a relationship that was more godly with his father than he currently had. And right now, you might have the physical attributes of being a godly person. And I want you to know that you may look like a godly person physically, like, like you're here and you're listening to the sermon and you may look good and you may talk good and you may act like a good Christian because, because here we have Jonah, right? Let's just talk about this. Let's just break this down. Here we have Jonah and, and he he has the title of being a prophet, and, and didn't he just preach a message like a Christian? And it had impact like a Christian. He, he experienced fruit in the works that he was doing in his Christian life, like he's doing all these Christian things. But something, something wasn't right with Jonah. And we see that something's not right. No matter, he looks like a Christian, he talks like a Christian, he acted like a Christian, he served like a Christian, but, but something's not right in his heart. And we can see that. And I believe God was giving him this plan. And I believe God was saying, Let me into your heart, Jonah. I don't want to dialogue with you on and on forever. I, I want to connect and fellowship with you on an intimate level in this shade together. I provided this plan to help move you forward, not just to give you temporary pleasure. pleasure. <sighs> but, but Jonah wouldn't do it, folks. Jonah just wouldn't do it. And so on the next day, God said, Okay, Jonah, you are rejecting every single opportunity that I'm giving you day after day, month after month, and season after season. Okay, Jonah. And here comes another belly of the well situation for our man Jonah. Again, just, just look at verse 7 and, and, and verse 8. But when the dawn came up the next day, so a full day God's conversing with Jonah and, and tracking with Jonah and trying to work with Jonah and trying to, and trying to woo Jonah back into a godly disposition. But, but when, the, when the dawn came up the next day and a full day of Jonah not responding, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he was faint, meaning he was massively weak. And he asked that he might die. He's asking to die again, folks. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And, and there's three times, folks, three times in chapter four alone that we see the word appointed and prepared. We talked about that, right? That concept about God providentially appointing things and, and preparing things. And, and we studied this in, in, in um, I think it was in uh, part five, God appointed a fish and, and, and God appointed a storm. Okay, so now we're seeing God appointing a plant and then God appointing a worm and God appointing a vehement east, a, 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 an east wind. Folks, look at the relentless, the radical relentless pursuit of our God for Jonah. He's pulling out all the stops. He, he provides a plant for shade, hoping that this blessing and this benefit will, will woo Jonah back to him. And, and then he removes the shade, hoping that this weak state of Jonah will cause him to cry out to God. So, so, so we serve a God that's a both and God. And I want you to know that today. God does provide uh, escape routes and blessings and things in our life with the aim that it will help us to lift our hands and to worship him. And, and he also removes things from our lives, hoping that it will break us down so that we'll lift our hands 
and worship him. Like, are you getting this now? Because I'm trying to get you delivered and healed up from cultural and nominal Christianity right here today. I'm trying to increase your biblical literacy as a remedy to any terrible preaching that you may have had at some point in your life about the compassion and the heart and the disposition of our God on high. Because God's not angry. God is not angry. God is not angry with you. Do you hear me? Stop thinking like that. God is loving. God is patient. God is kind. And the God of the Old Testament is the, he's not a, he is the beautiful picture and standard of those realities. He just is. God does not cause pain for pain's sake. He only leverages pain for the sake of surgical intervention, folks, for our healing. I'm going to say that again. God does not cause pain for the sake of pain. He only leverages pain as an instrument for the sake of surgical intervention for our healing. Like, like what is it going to take for you to get that? The Old Testament God is love. God is love. It's just who He is. Jesus is not better than the Father. He's not. In fact, Jesus himself said it. He said, I'm not better than the Father. The Father is greater than me. Uh, l- let me show you in the Gospel of John right now. Let's, let's go to John, John chapter 14, verse 27 and, and 28. It's, it's on your screen. This is Jesus talking, and this is legit. It's weighty. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater, not weaker, not less, not as compared. He is greater than I. Okay, and, and what Jesus is saying is, Brandon, you do not have to be afraid anymore. Whatever your name is, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You can maintain your peace because everything that I did for you, everything I did on the cross, not only gives you perfect redemption and, and perfect reconciliation from your sin and your shame, it brings you back to your father. And, and Brandon, that's really, really good news because the father is greater than I am. That's why I myself am returning to him. The plan for me was always to dwell with my father as the triune Godhead. And now you get to join your father too. Like, don't you realize that the whole point of why I came and was born and died on the cross and then was resurrected was to bring you back to him, the Father. It was always about bringing you to the Father. That was my purpose. I'm the bridge to your father. So, so whether your problems are historical daddy issues or, or daddy pain, whatever it is, listen to me. God's not him. God's not your earthly daddy. God didn't do it. God is a really, really good father. And, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. And, and, and I want you to get this. Jesus knew that. And our wonderful counselor and our king who walked and, and he reigned down here in, in the form of, of, of the God-man wrapped in flesh, he, he knew it. And he died on the cross so that we can now experience the Father for ourselves 
directly. So, so God is appointing whales and plants and, and worms and violent storms not because he's angry, not because he's angry, but because he wants to save Jonah and he wants to save you and he wants to rescue Jonah and he wants to rescue you. Like, like when are you going to just accept that and see God for who he is and, and lift your hands in the, in the sky and just say, God, I worship you. And I praise you and I thank you, Abba Father, for being who you are. And, and I thank you for my storms and I thank you for my wells and I thank you for my pain. Thank you because it represented your radical pursuit and your relentless pursuit and your care for me. And I believe that that is enough for me. Thank you for intervening and being willing to do something for me. Folks, when are you going to praise God for the people that he's placed and used in your life to intervene in the times that you needed it the most? You know, those friends and those teachers and those mentors and those coaches and those pastors, the, the people that, that intervened and they, and they took your anger and they, they took your venom and they took your tears and they took your pain and they took your rejection and yet they stood by your side in Christ and they said, no more sinning. No more running. You've got to armor up. Rise out of the ashes and stop rebelling, my friend, my son, my, my member of the church. It's time to clean up. You've got to straighten. You've got to straighten out because, folks, these people that God brought into your life, they're not your enemy. God is not your enemy. You are. We are. We are our worst enemy. Are you tracking with me? But Jonah is not getting this concept, folks. Jonah's not getting it at all. Instead, he's asking to die. He's taking the cowardly way out. And so God compassionately again poses the same question now in, in verse 9. Like, look at our God. He's shining in this book. He's still available for our man Jonah, and he's still providing opportunities and, and more chances. Here it is, verse, verse 9. It's, it's on your screen. But, but God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And, and, and he said, and, J and Jonah said, Yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And, and, and here it is, folks. Here it is. This is the saddest verse in the whole book of Jonah. And it is one of the saddest verses, in my opinion, in, in the whole Bible. Because Jonah's like, you don't know me, dude. You don't know me, God. Stop trying to act like you know me. You don't understand. Get off my back. And, and God's like, Jonah. I actually do know you, and I, and I know you a lot, and, and I know you're struggling, and I, and I kind of created you, and I kind of see what's going on in your heart, and, and you're breaking my heart, son, and, I, and I'm trying to get you to calm down. I want you to listen to me. Like, like, like quick question. Have you ever had a moment with if you're if you're a parent with with your child and and, and one of your kids kind of say and they're angry and they look at you with those hostile eyes and they say you don't understand me mom and you don't understand me dad I'm so mad and you don't get me and and you don't care and and those are hard moments right it it hurts our heart and and it really does hurt our our stomach but but like why do we almost feel like a, a physical pain as a parent when when our when our kids lash out like that and they and they and we see that anger in them 
when they, and they're so frustrated because they think we don't understand them. Well, I'll tell you why we almost feel a physical pain when our, when our kids talk to us like that. It's because, it's because they're dead wrong, folks. And, and we know it in our hearts because we know that we would give our lives for our children. We would cut off the very arm from our body if that's what it took to make our children okay. And so when, when we see them acting in this level of distress and, and they're in this much pain, and, and when we see that our very own beautiful children can't make their way back to us at times and at different seasons, when we see how much they are too self-deceived and self-absorbed and self-entitled about whatever they're freaking out about and having a temper tantrum about, folks, we can see that they're not thinking clearly and they're saying things that they don't really mean fundamentally at the core of their heart. And when all that happens, it absolutely kills you as a parent, doesn't it? Oh, okay, lean in. Jonah is so convinced that God doesn't get him and that God doesn't get it that he's like, God, you, you don't get it. The, these people, they, they've wrecked so much havoc on, 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 on people that I really love and, and people that I really, I really miss. And, and, and they're supposed to be people that, but that you care about and, and you don't understand my pain. And, and so Jonah has anger and, and fire and confusion all bubbling in his belly. And it's killing him, folks, from the inside out. What's killing Jonah above all things is that he can't relate to God and he's not understanding God, but most importantly, he doesn't feel God understands him. And, that, and that's the key. And, and God's saying to Jonah, No, Jonah, you don't get it. My son, I do not want to destroy. I want to forgive. This is my heart and this is how it looks and this is who I am. My son, I'm very much aware of how terrible they've been. Don't think that, Jonah. I'm watching and it's breaking my heart. But Jonah, I'm slow to anger and I'm quick to heal. That's who I am. And can't you see, Jonah? I'm being slow to anger with you too, my son, right in this very moment. But Jonah is not getting it. He can't see it. Jonas just can't see it. He's resolved to quit and to run and to die. That's what Jonah is resolved to do. That's why he said it three times already in chapter four. So, so I'll be honest with you. When I was studying and I was preparing uh, uh, part seven and I got to this part of my study prep, I honestly wept. I started crying and when I read this verse. It broke my heart that much. And I had to just kind of take a walk, honestly, before I can go back into my sermon prep. And that's because, folks, I've unfortunately seen too many people in my life give that answer to God far too often. And it's wrecked their lives. And, and so those faces were haunting me this night when I was doing my sermon prep. When I saw Jonah's answer, I cried and I thought about story after story of people that I know and that I love who made this kind of an answer to God and it cost them and it cost them dearly. But, but look at our God in the twilight hour of Jonah's resolve for the fourth time to die. Look at our God. He's still trying to bring Jonah into understanding and submission. He's a God of second chances, praise Christ. Let's, let's see that in a real way in verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, right? For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. It wasn't even here that long. Oh, man, folks, this is deep. You see what God's saying here in the text. He's like, Jonah, look at the pity you have for this plant. 
You didn't even invest into this plant. You didn't die for this plant. You didn't weep for this plant. You didn't even help it to grow. And you didn't even have a long relationship with it. Folks, God is trying to get Jonah to see that his excitement for the plant is disproportionate in juxtaposition to the lack of excitement he has for actual human beings and people. God's like, Jonah, the same way that you're all excited to see this plant sprout up and grow in the most unlikely of places, namely the desert area? My son, why are you not so excited for these people who are springing up into life and growing in the most unlikely of, of, of places, namely the desert of their sin? Folks, God fully understood. He fully understood that the Ninevites were out of control and that the whole point, the whole point of why he sent Jonah to Nineveh in the first place was that he wasn't ignoring the problem. That's the whole point. God's not ignoring the sin in Nineveh. He's solving it. He's solving it through Jonah. He's doing it. He's like, he's solving the problem. But why? Why do we, as the people of God, in today's culture, why do we believe, like Jonah, that the only way to solve problems and the only way for justice to happen is guns and swords and death sentences all the time? What's up with that? Why are we as humans so addicted to restoration and, and healing coming through the exclusive vehicle of someone else's demise? What's up with that? Like, if a bully was picking track with me, and get honest with yourself, if a bully was um, wickedly picking on one of your children, is it actually truly better to just cancel the bully, get him expelled out of school, and remove him from your child's life? Well, I think that's a perfect idea. No, no, it's not. Stop it. And, and if we're being honest, that is how most of us think as parents, right? We'd, we don't just agree with that. We'd, we'd fight for that outcome to occur, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? But, but is it not actually better? Is it not better if the bully was able to turn from their oppressive habits and, and deal and dealt with whatever trauma has happened in their life to bring them to this point where they're behaving this way? In the first place, like, wouldn't it be better for the bully to be transformed to become um, if either a friend of your child or at least have a genuine opportunity to reconcile with your child? And, and there could be a commonality of respect for each other established and an understanding of each other established. Like, wouldn't that be a more amazing and, and better outcome for the bully and your child? And, and yes, yes, of course, if the bully doesn't stop and he, and he doesn't let up and he doesn't relent from what he's doing, measures of protection need to be put in place for our children. I know I would as a father, but I'm asking if, if this reconciliation of, of the bully who is wickedly picking on your child, is that a category for you? Like, would that even be a category that you would, that you would explore, namely both nurturing your child as the present victim, as you then simultaneously nurtured the bully as a wounded it's a wounded soul because all throughout scripture, God most definitely takes both of these situations very seriously, the perpetrator and the victim. And he comes after them both because 150 years later, after the Christian parents of these great, great grand um, kids, um, I mean, as these uh, as the grandparents died and, and, and the great-great-grandchildren were left and they were in sin again, God most definitely dealt with the Ninevites again. He shows up. He's a God of intentionality. But, but I'm asking you again, 
If there's a chance for healing between the lion and the lamb and the bully and the child and the financial perpetrator and the financial victim and the rapist and the raped, isn't it so much better for an outcome to happen for healing for both sides? Is it not better for the victim of bullying to experience a truly contrite repentant bully, one who's weeping and one who feels remorse and, and is becoming meek and is offering a genuine apology to your child and saying something like, I'm so sorry for, for picking on you like that. I don't know what possessed me. I was out of my mind. I'm so sorry. It breaks my heart. I'll never do that to you or anyone else. Again, will you please Forgive me. Like when that message comes from a genuine place, does that not set your son and or or your daughter up to heal infinitely deeper and and and, and more lasting than just removing the bully from their life? Like like that doesn't solve. Like there is studies, folks. Removing a bully does not solve your child's trauma. That trauma stays, but but when a bully can be reconciled and there could be an understanding and, and a restoration there, folks, God's way is is infinitely better. There's there's closure there, but but that would require a greater capacity of love in our hearts, wouldn't it? That would require a type of love that strategically protected your child while while simultaneously pursued perhaps for a whole season, both the bully and maybe even their parents. It might be a family discipleship situation, but that requires hard work and effort and endurance and long-suffering and forbearance and forgiveness, doesn't it? Folks, John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Well, let me tell you what the verse means in the context, contextually, of Jonah so we don't miss what God is saying in John chapter 3, verse 16. Because John chapter 3, verse 16 activated practically means, For God so loved the world that he wanted people to stop doing all the evil that they were doing so he could rescue them. That's what the verse means, okay? So, so God so loved the world that he came for those, knowing they were going to be in evil ways, knowing they were going to be doing the wrong things, and he came as a rescuing, heroic, justice-bearing God. That's who he is. And so God is trying to adjust Jonah's disposition. But Jonah's all fired up about this stupid, dumb plant, and, and, and God's like, Wow. Okay, son, I, I do see a little bit of me inside of you as I see your passion and your compassion and, and your compassion um, and your care and your sensitivity for for this this plant. I see genuine pity. Your your desire for the plant is is similar to mine, but but Jonah, I want you to know that I love people, my son, and I have pity for my people, when I have radical care for my people, and I want people to live and to thrive, because the plant died, Jonah, and you had so much remorse and sorrow and pity for it, but these people, Jonah, these people were dying, and, and they were causing other people to die, and I had pity, for Jonah, on all all of it. And, and then he goes on in verse 11, and, and he says this. So, so the Lord says, And should, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? Oh, this is weighty. Oh my gosh. In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left as also much cattle. 
Oh, man. And folks, this is where the book of Jonah ends. And, and I know it's awkward, but, but don't worry. I'm going to explain because, because there's a lot here. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Because God is saying to Jonah, Wow, okay, your plant died. Tough day. But, but did you know that there are 120,000 young children? That's what it means, Jonah, that they can't see their right hand from their left and that they're just as smart as almost like a cattle. They, 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 I, there's 120,000 young children, approximately five years old or younger, who can't even discern from their left hand to the right hand here. Like, like Jonah, there's 120,000 kids that are so young that they can't make moral judgments on their own yet. And they're going to perish and they're going to die because of their parents' sin and their parents' perspectives. So Jonah, there's 120,000 victims here. Jonah, do you not understand that there are 13 and 14 year olds that have been so conditioned to live and act in a way that they know and they don't know absolutely any other way of living but to cut people's skin off? Jonah, they've never been given another opportunity. They've never even been exposed to a different way. So what are we to do with over 120,000 five-year-olds and infants and over 200,000 teenagers? What city, Jonah, on the planet can take in this many orphans if we kill off all their parents? And in what city would even have enough of my heart to want to raise these children that were the product of their of these these Ninevites, these these parents? Where, Jonah? Where can we send them? We can't send them to Jerusalem where you come from. They don't carry my heart enough. Where can we send over three hundred and fifty thousand children Tetechus where they wouldn't become victims themselves as all the people from all the different lands and nations took out their anger and their pain on them for what their parents did potentially to their nieces and nephews and, and, and wives and siblings and, and how they had to commit suicide just because their parents were coming to town. Do you not understand that those parents, even the parents, the wicked parents, before they were parents, they were 13 and 14 years old, and they were five years old at one point, too. Do you not understand that they were told and conditioned and oppressed by a previous king, and that king by a previous king, and that king by a previous king, and they've been in a crazy, crazy cycle, Jonah, and they're only doing what they know to do. Do you not understand that this is the land of, of a generation after generation of five-year-olds who continue to be conditioned and raised to raise the next generation of five-year-olds, and they've never seen a different way. They don't know my way. Do you not understand that every single man and woman in this city is both a a perpetrator of, of evil and a victim of their circumstances at the same time. Jonah, my son, 
don't you realize that the very people you want condemned are the very people that you would want to save if you removed your lens of hostility and anger and self-absorption and self-entitlement and self-seeking? Jonah, now do you see why I'm showing up here in Nineveh with great pity? Do you see your purpose that I'm trying to activate in your life? Do you see the glorious opportunity that I'm giving you? Because this situation in this nation is enslaved to themselves on a crazy cycle and are victims of parenting after parenting and conditioning after conditioning in all the wrong ways. That's why I called you here, Jonah. I called you here to break that bond. But that's going to require you, Jonah, to not be self-centered and to not be self-absorbed, only focusing on your pain and your troubles. Otherwise, you won't see them in the way that I see them. Jonah, you need to activate your spirit-filled position to break this yoke of evil bond in this city with light and truth and vision so that the people can actually have an opportunity to choose a different way. And I sent you, my son, to do that. And you preach my message. And behold, they chose me. Look at what's happening. There's church plants. There's revival. There's forgiveness all over the place. And folks, listen to me. I'm not saying that this is always the case regarding perpetrators and the things that they do and the many crimes that are committed then or the crimes that are committed today in our lives. But I do want you to know that over 65% of those who commit those um, fatal five crimes of, of rape and kidnapping and murder, all these different ones, did you know that they were 65% um, of them were victims in significant ways first themselves? And folks, I'm not saying that absolves them from what they did, but I want you to know that we live in a difficult world where a perpetrator can be simultaneously a victim at the same time. So, so how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel when you hear me talk like this? Are you getting frustrated and mad? What's happening right here? Okay, okay, well, well, why? Why? Like, like, why are you so offended with this message? Think about this. I want you to ask, why are you offended? Why are you mad right now? Like, like, do you think God's love for these people and God's love for the people that are living today that have done hard things, is, is, is that somehow, do you think that's a rejection of your pain? Do you think that belittles your experience and that God doesn't care about what you've been through? Like, like what's going on underneath your, your heart right now? Oh man, I came to preach today and, and, I, and I know that this is difficult and I know that, I, that, that the word of God that's coming through my mouth right now is, 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 is potentially stirring up some, some anger and, and some friction and some confusion and some overwhelm in our hearts today, particularly where this hits close to home for, for some of you. But, but listen to Pastor Brandon. I came to preach Christ today in his word and the Father's heart, most importantly, and I'm not ashamed of his glorious gospel and his passion to save. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. And, and I came to activate my spiritual um, position and, and to reject the easy waters of cowardly preaching and to avoid the real weight underneath this book of the Bible. Uh, I'm not worried about human rejection because I want you to radically know your God, our God, because he's reigning and he's ruling and he's loving and he's healing and he's forgiving and he's forbearing 
for thousands and thousands of years now. Praise Christ. But, but this world for generations now is trying to give God a new name and they're trying to give God new character traits. But I'm not having it. Because today I'm standing up telling you to be armored up and to see God for who he really is. And he's a long-suffering, patient, glorious, glorious king. So, so quick question. Where are you today with all of what we're talking about? And, and you better not lie. Just tell the truth. What area are you so self-centered and you're so self-deceived and you're so self-absorbed and you're so tunnel vision on, on getting what you believe and, and, and focusing on what you believe you have to have and, and what you believe needs to happen in your life and in your family's life on whatever's going on and, and the things that you need to get done and you believe need, other people need to get done. Like where are you struggling with this self-entitlement and self-absorption? Uh, problem that we all have in a way where it's distracting you from what God cares about, what he cares about most, folks. Now, now to make sure that I'm not accidentally coming off as contrite, because I know that there's some, some really painful stories uh, 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 in here today of, of people who are listening, and, and, I'm, and I happen to be one of them. Know this, no matter what, pain is pain, and I do want to honor your pain today, yet I also want to guide you and I, and I want to urge you and I want to shepherd you beyond your pain. Are you, I want to honor your pain, but I want to help move the needle to help you move beyond your pain. Okay, so, so let's go after it. Let's go after it this way. So, so there's about six different groups of people in here today. That's it. There's, there's not seven. There's, there's not six. Uh, I mean, there's not seven. There's, there's not five. There's, there's not 10. There's, there's just six. Uh, trust me on that. And, and even though you, you may believe you, you're, you're all alone in, in your pain and, and, and no one can relate to you and no one struggles like you, I want you to know that it's not true because there's about six types of spheres of struggles and there's about six types of, of, of people here today and, and you're either in one or more of these categories. So let's, let's, let's unpack that for a minute and let's, let's, let's lay this thing, let's lay this thing out. Okay, number one. So there are those who struggle with sin issues. Okay, so, so, so you may be someone who primarily has pain and, and struggle in, in your life because of sin. Like, like you have besetting sins or, or you're, you're just conditioned to struggle more with, with being obedient to God and, 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 and to do things from a righteous disposition. And so you struggle with, with sin issues and making decisions that are more like God. Okay, no, uh, number two. There are those who are just struggling right now and you have so much pain with financial issues. And, and so for you, it's just, it's just hard, hard, hard for you. Like maybe you grew up in poverty or, or maybe you're now in poverty or for some reason finances is just a weight and there's, and there's pain and there's a story and the story's deep and the story's difficult for you there. Okay, and, and for some, number three, there are those who struggle and they have great pain with physical issues. And, and it can be medical. It, and it, it's difficult. You were born with the condition or, or, you, or you acquired the condition or someone gave you the condition or, or, or it happened in a car accident. But the point is there's pain and there's, there's pain. And, and folks, I'm trying to unpack for you today that these areas that I'm laying out are where we get self-absorbed and self-deceived and self-entitled. Like we have these sin issues and, and we become so focused on them and trying to heal our and I want to punish myself, punish myself, punish like financial issues and we and we disproportionately are so looking at the numbers and the Dow and and or it's physical and we're we're constantly wanting to feel better and we're and we're sorry for ourselves like 
our self-absorption and our self-entitlement and our self-deception, um, folks, please understand it's, it's finding and nestling it self in these in these struggle issues let's let's keep going number four there are those who struggle and they have great pain with emotional issues uh, and, and for you that can look many different ways it can come out through anxiety or 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 depressions or or so many things but the point is the shadow version underneath your struggle is that it leads you to into the temptation and the easy waters of being self-entitled about what you believe you shouldn't have to deal with and you become self-absorbed and it distracts you from what God wants you to do beyond your emotional issues okay so so number 5 there are those who struggle with relational lonely issues and you're just never, you're, it's never been okay for you. Like you, you were always alone on the, on the playground and, 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 and you always feel like you're an outcast at the, in the workplace and you just struggle and you struggle and, and you try hard and you get, you get anxious and you, you even prep conversations when you know you're going to have to have social interactions and, and it never quite goes right and you get in your head and you question yourself and you question yourself and, you're, and, and it leads to self-absorption and self-entitlement and self deception because you meditate disproportionately on your struggle issue. And then finally, there are those who struggle specifically with significant issues, significance issues. And, and you just don't feel good enough. And you always think you should be more and you should be better and you're not enough. And, and, that, and that weight and that energy and that pull to be more and to find more it, it, it leads you to be self-absorbed and, and self-entitled and filled with self-deception. It takes your eyes disproportionately. I mean, it keeps your eyes disproportionately on yourself and not on what God has for you. Okay, look at me. Pay attention. The real difference isn't in how many issues you have. Because we all have issues. Pain is pain. Instead, the real difference in, is in how we all process and react to the issues that we all have. I'm going to say to you again, the real difference between this guy and that girl and, and me and you isn't in how many issues we have, but instead the real difference is in how, we, how you process and choose to react to the issues that you have. Folks, happiness isn't determined by your circumstances. Don't believe that hype. Happiness is determined by your reaction to the circumstances that occur within your life. I'm going to say it again. This is deep waters to change your life. Game changer stuff. Your happiness isn't determined by your circumstances because they change all the time. Your happiness or your ability to maintain your joy and happiness is determined by your reaction to your circumstances that occur in your in your life listen we're all in the same boat i'm sorry to bust your bubble but this is true however what we do with our troubles and what we do with our different spheres of struggle issues that's going to be what discerns and 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 ultimately leads to our next steps that is what separates people by mountains and canyons and galaxies people that are most happy and people that are in the greatest depression how they're reacting to their spheres of struggles is where the difference is. And, and I want you to know that a huge indicating factor will come down to how self-deceived and how self-absorbed you really are in how you live. 
And if that's you and you're really stuck in self-absorption and self-deception, watch out because you are headed on a downward spiral opposite of revival because you are on your way to the valley of the shadow of death when you lean into those kind of dispositions. And it, and it might not be physical death, but, but rest assured, folks, you won't have any real life and vibrancy in your system when it's all said and done. And, and that won't be because of your circumstances. Don't believe that. And you say, if my circumstance would just change, stop it. Stop believing that. It's not because of your circumstance. It's because of your reaction to your circumstance. Folks, I am disabled in my body, but I have radical joy that I did not have in those first three years. And what's changed is not my circumstance, but my reaction to my circumstance. How you process your struggle spheres and how you deal with your spheres of struggle is going to be the real game changer when it's all said and done. Because when you allow yourself to be self-deceived and to be self-absorbed and to be self-entitled with all your stuff, guess what God's doing at the same time? He's doing a bunch of stuff, better stuff. Because God is doing a bunch of cool stuff and like forgiving people and asking people to do amazing stuff beyond their story because they gave up their stuff to Him. He's asking them to forgive stuff and to give up stuff and to pick up new stuff. He's granting and, and blessing people with, with new stuff and He's giving them new perspectives on a whole bunch of stuff. So stuff is a part of, of life, folks. You got stuff and, and I got stuff and God's got stuff going on. But you got to decide what stuff you want to focus on. Yours or God's. It's all stuff. But his stuff, his stuff will lead you to easy waters. His, his stuff will lead you to eternity. His stuff will lead you to peace beyond the unpeaceful circumstances. And, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of people, they don't like the book of Jonah precisely because it ends so miserably. Because it ends with Jonah in sin and without any sign of genuine repentance and with a, with a trajectory that's aimed towards separation from God forever forever. And, and for some of you, you love to watch Hallmark movies precisely because there's an unspoken promise that is going to end well. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Tell the truth. And, and you're not only pulled towards those type of movies, you also tend to avoid other movies that are hard and have painful and complex and difficult endings, don't you? Well, well, the book of Jonah is one of those tough kind of movies that ends in a way that leaves you kind of disappointed. It's the kind of story where the, where the main character dies or the child doesn't get rescued or the hero dies in the last three minutes of, of the movie film. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed or, or downcast or wanting out of this book, hey, look at me. Be careful. Be, be very, very careful because you may be stuck in a Christian cultural pattern that is that is permeating like a metastatic disease in our lands in our church where you just think church is about making you feel better all the time 
and be careful even with your heart towards all the all your movies and your hallmark situations with, and that insatiable appetite towards rosy endings and and rosy endings and juxtaposed to your great reluctance for a movie that has a complex or or difficult ending because it may be revealing that you are resisting the reality of life in a broken world and the trials and the hardships that God has not only called you to live and to worship and to glorify him in, he's called you to be a soldier in the Christian war and to lean in to that fight, not to lean out for it, to look for easy waters when there's a war going on. We have to lean in. So you got to be, folks, you got to be careful. And, and know this, we have studied the book of Jonah because God wanted us to see a tough ending of a man who never figured it out and, and never surrendered to the Lord and, and, and how he lost everything. Jonah lost everything. And, and that's not something that we should avoid interacting with. That's why I believe God put this book here for each and every one of us. And, and we've studied Jonah because I wanted you to see the gospel perspectives that God has beautifully painted all over these pages about who he is. And, and we've studied Jonah because I wanted to show you the gospel opportunities that you have to choose differently than Jonah. You don't have to choose what Jonah chose. And, and with that backdrop, I want to press forward with great circumspection today and, and remind you that there is a revival happening in uh, this city. And there's a revival happening even in the well, right? And, and, and did I not dedicate a previous sermon to Jonah and that well situation? Didn't Jonah experience revival? I'm about to unpack this right now. Did I not dedicate a full sermon to Jonah's revival in the whale where we saw him return to God? Yet all of a sudden, now something weird has happened to Jonah here in chapter 4. Because, because now he is filled with self-deception and, and self-centeredness. He's crapping all over himself and everything's going to end terribly. And this leads to a game-changing principle that I want you to always, always remember. It's game-changing. Okay, here it is. It's, it's on your screen. Most Christians are striving for a rival, not revival. But the former is a death sentence, and the latter is God's grace-paved road for us to travel towards the destination of heaven. I'm going to say it again. Most Christians are striving for Arrival, not revival. But the former is a death sentence, and the latter is a is excuse me, and the latter is God's grace paved road for us to travel towards the destination of heaven. Oh man, and this is a real serious conundrum in our culture today, isn't it? Most people are so focused on trying to get somewhere and to achieve something and to achieve this goal or, or, or to get this dream activated or to uh, uh, step into this narrative so they can finally just uh, arrive and, and let up and, and be done with all, all the effort. Okay, so we, we need to talk about this in a real way. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your minds so clear. Listen, listen to me. Whether it's physical fitness or financial prowess or emotional health or relational success or spiritual revival, there's no arrival. There's no arrival. 
period. There's no such thing as a rival in anything. You're, you're never going to get to this, this place and stop permanently in anything with everlasting satisfaction. Do you hear me? Stop it. Don't do that. So today, you really need to pack that dump truck of a narrative away. Throw it away so you can be delivered, radically delivered from so much exhaustion folks because there's a false gospel out here traveling around our churches in the christian culture today that boasts that revival is about laying down so you can look up so that you can get up and then get fired up for god and arrive and, and, and be done but i want you to know it's not true it's not true it's dangerously it's dangerously false you're never going to arrive say i come on say it i will never arrive. Now take an exhale and breathe a little bit because I just I just gave you some freedom to not live under that exhaustion. So so if you live your life always trying to arrive at this place and arrive at this relationship and arrive in this career and arrive and arrive and arrive and arrive and arrive, you're constantly going to be filled with anxiety and stress and pressure and exhaustion because the real arrival of arrival is found and culminates only in eternity. That's the only time we arrive. Everything else is a lie. And, and the tough but real reality is that revival is more like God breaking us down so that we then look, lay down, so that we look up, so we can get up and get fired up to do His will. Here's the key. As best as we can. Just as best as we can. Well, well, okay, I, I got it, Pastor Brandon, but, but what, comes, what comes next after I try to do the best, the best that I can? Okay, okay, I'll tell you. A few more bad decisions and another season of being self-centered and, and another season of being self-deceived in some way. That's it. That's not true. You're not a very confident pastor. God can free me from my sin. Stop it. Stop it. You're not listening to me. Yes, we, we talked about that in part six. Our, our hope as we grow on the, on the journey of sanctification is to send less and less and less. But, but, but make no uh, doubt about it. You will, you will die on this planet in self-deception, self-centeredness, and self uh, being self-absorbed. So, so what comes next after revival is most definitely uh, some more bad decisions and another season of those struggles of self-absorption, particularly around these fears that we struggle in. That's what's awaiting us. And so, track with me. And so, God brings us down again so that we would lay down again, so that we would look up again, so that we would get up, armored up again, so that we would get fired up again. And this cycle goes on and on throughout our lives, and we call that revival. Folks, we call it mortification, the, the dying to your sin, and, and vivification, the, the raising into new life. And together they equal something that we call the road of sanctification that God has set before us. This is the process we are all on, praise Christ, praise Christ, to be more like Jesus the Christ, dying daily to our sins more and more each day. So, so do yourself a favor and stop trying to arrive in some position in your spiritual life that, that doesn't exist because it doesn't, that where you're so good and you're so holy and so righteous that you finally get to rest on your laurels and be done. 
Stop it. Stop doing that. And, and I hope this is hitting home for you as you consider your life and your striving tendencies and your pacing and, and, and where you're at and, and where you want to be and, and where you fear you're not going to get to spiritually in enough time, whatever, whatever that means. Because when you have all of those emotions swimming within your heart, God says, My child, there's no arrival don't go hard after arrival. Instead, my son, instead, my daughter, stay tuned to me. Stay fit in the word. Stay humble in your heart. Stay planted in community and stay rooted upon my precepts and follow me day by day through victory and failure, wins and losses, platforms and stages and beaches and deserts but folks jonah didn't do it the opportunity was given to him and he didn't do it he responded wrongly and all these opportunities that god gave him were designed by god to turn him to god that's the point Paul says it best in, in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 when, when, when he says or do you despise do you despise the richness of the kindness and the forbearance and, and the patience, knowing, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Are you seeing the heart of God? God uses kindness not as an excuse for us to sin, but as a vehicle to bring us to a place of repentance. And, and so, so, so don't believe this hype. Why didn't God punish me for my sin when I was doing that wrong thing with that girl? Why didn't God punish me when I ran away from my responsibility? Maybe God doesn't care. No, no, stop it. You've got to increase your biblical literacy. God is being kind to you in the period of patience and giving you opportunities even when you are sinning as a vehicle to get you to repent. To go, oh man, my God is so good. My God is so great. I don't deserve it, but he gives it and I'm done. That's why God, that's why God does that. Oh, and, and Paul was trying to explain that because God is so kind and he's so good, and he's asking the Romans, I don't want to get too much into Romans, but what he's asking the Romans at the time is, why are you despising this riches? Why? Why are you upset and hostile about that? And, and here's Jonah, 800 years prior to Paul. And then here's Paul, 2,000 years uh, prior to us. And, and here's us saying, God is so good, and, and God is so great, and, and God is so loving, and, and, God is so, and God is so amazing. Yet, yet when, when God actually keeps his word and stays good, and stays loving, and stays graceful and merciful to other people that we don't believe he should stay good and constant towards, then what happens to you? Come on, be honest. Then what happens? Do you correct your heart and grow and say, I need to armor up? Of course, my God is going to be loving and stay true to who he is. That's my problem. That's my bad. That's my sin. That's my rebellious spirit. That's my bitterness. And I'm going to submit that to the cross. And I'm going to be like my God. Or... Do you shove it down and do you ignore it and you just keep being who you are and uh, and bear down in your bitterness towards whoever you have it towards, wherever you're not being radical in your forgiveness? And, and, and what does your response really look like when things don't go well for you, when an opportunity comes and it doesn't go the way you want or a situation doesn't go the way you want or a relationship doesn't go the way you want? 
personally it to go. Are you still filled with gratitude, activating your Ephesians chapter 5, give thanks in all things for everything? Or are you self-centered and, and self-absorbed and, and self-entitled and then led to a place of depression? Because we're studying Jonah here, folks, at the end. And it's not the kind of movie that a lot of us like to watch, but it is a movie we need to watch, isn't it? We may not like these kind of movies, but we most definitely need these kind of movies because it shows us that self-seeking and self-absorption and self-preoccupation and self-deception leads the living to the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, important question. How many of you struggle from time to time with circumstantial depression or disappointment within your life? Folks, every single one of us should be raising our hands right now. Okay, well, well, here's what I want to say. And, and for those uh, who may be triggered by this, I, I won't have time to unpack this fully today. So I apologize in advance if you're triggered by this. But, but here's what I want you to know. And here's a stone that we can't leave unturned. There are very few people on the planet that struggle with clinical depression in a way where they have an authentic real need for a chemical, um, that, uh, excuse me, they, ha they have an authentic chemical imbalance in a way where they need a prescribed medication. I believe that with the entire circumference of my heart, the number of people who truly should be on medication is a very, very, very small portion of our Popula uh, population, a small minority. And, and I believe this probably more than anyone in our church. However, I do believe that many of us, many of us struggle with great bouts of circumstantial depression and circumstantial disappointment through circumstances and spheres of things that, that overwhelm us and, and rock us and, and take our breath away and knock us flat out on our back. And I do believe that the results of that happening can then lead to hormonal problems and um, endocrine problems and emotional problems and neurologic problems. And things can compound and compound and compound and compound. And again, let me say this again, I'm acknowledging that there is a small group of people that need chemicals to help balance them medically um, so they can be okay. But for most of us folks, listen to me. It's a spiritual issue. It just is. But, but in, a, in a culture today that is not of God and in a culture on track to become fully pagan, totally devoid of God, it's no wonder we turn to medication so quickly for our problems with anxiety, depression, and really an antidote for our self-absorption and our self-entitlement and our self-deception and our self and our self-seeking. And, and as I wrap up the last sermon of Jonah, and as we keep kind of walking through this sermon today, and while our church is preparing for this big pivot as we move into a new season, and as I prepare to head into a, a new era of making much of Christ's ministries network, I, I'm determined to, to go out swinging, swinging with gospel-centered truth for you and every listener like it's the last sermon I'm ever going to preach. Because folks, James chapter 1 tells us that we don't know our futures. And so I'm preaching this like this is all I got today. So keep tracking with me because we still have, we still have things, things to discuss. And, and what I'm trying to get you to pay attention to right now, don't be distracted. 
What I'm trying to get you to pay attention to right now is what habits do you currently have in how you process your circumstances? Think with that, but be, be thoughtful right now as a, as a thoughtful Christian. What are your habits that you actively have currently when you're processing circumstances that happen in your life? And I want you to consider where you look when your situations go, go awry. How do you handle them? Where do you turn to? What is your normal response? How do you handle things? Because Jonah is struggling with a super bad day. This is what it's really, folks, at the end of the day, let's make this practical. Jonah's struggling with a really bad season and he's having on this specific day, he's just having a really bad day. And he's having a super bad outlook on life. But, but it's not his super bad day. It is not his super bad season that is killing him. It's literally killing him. He's gonna die. It's killing him. That's not causing the most pain. It's his self-absorption and it's his self-seeking and it's his self-deception and his focus on only what he wants to think about. That's what's taking him down and it's not letting him up. Okay? Like I want you to get that. And and maybe you're and maybe you're going to be like Jonah was in, in verse 5, totally removing yourself from all wisdom and all people that can help you because you're more comfortable being in control and being your own little boss and, and doing your own little deal and you don't like this situation and you don't like that outcome and it's not fair what happened in your marriage and it's not right what your kids are going through and you're just mad and you're, and you're being baptized in pickle juice instead of focusing on what God says and doing what God says and taking after God's dispositions. Because to do what God says would actually require you to have to reconcile with those feelings and submit them and subject them to the word of God. And, and to do what God says would require you to have reconciliation with people that you're avoiding. And to do what God says would be to own stuff that you need to own and to pay back things you need to pay back. And, and, and you may not really want to do that. And, and Jonah was hearing what the Lord was saying, folks, but he wasn't reacting, and he wasn't processing, and he wasn't listening, and he wasn't changing. And when it comes to being discouraged and depressed and down and out, I want you to know what the real pandemic is in our culture. So, so here it is. This is the real pandemic. It's the true universal pandemic. It's, it's bigger than COVID. It's bigger than any pandemic. It's, it's the one that's going to take us out if we don't activate our spirit-filled disposition. So, so just lay that out right now. It's, it's, on, it's on your screen. The true universal pandemic is when we say my problem and my sin and my dilemma and my depression and my disappointment is not my fault. It's somebody else's. And my problem or situation or dilemma can't be resolved until someone pays or my circumstances change. This Folks, folks, listen to me. This is the truth. The most deadly pandemic, the most deadly pandemic is the blaming of people and circumstances conjoined with a stagnancy of your heart to heal and to transition and to move onward and forward. Because we say, Lord, I would heal and I would be better once you do this and once you do that. But the Lord says, brightly in, in Isaiah 55. I'm not like you, Jonah. I'm not like you, Brandon. I'm not like you, whatever your name is. And I'm not like that way of thinking. So, so remember, remember this if you don't remember anything else. The biggest pandemic in our culture today is the belief that it's somebody else's fault. 
It's somebody else's fault. And it allures you to blame your parents and it allures you to blame your past and it allures you to blame the culture and the time period you lived in and it allures you to blame your pastor and it allures you to think it's because he didn't uh, take care of your needs, and he didn't teach you the, the Bible correctly, and it allures you to, to blame your environment and, and your education or, or the lack thereof, and, and it allures you to, to blame the government, or worse, you'll be like Jonah, and you'll be blaming your God. That's, that's the biggest pandemic. Okay, be very, very careful, Christian, on how you live and proceed forward after today's sermon. Because when you do that, when you do that, when you blame all of your problems on anything and everything, when you refuse to look inward, when you refuse to look inward at the condition of your heart and the disposition of your soul, you are giving yourself a forever verdict to never heal. You're never going to heal that way. Or are you tracking with me? And, and don't get me wrong. Real things happen, folks, in this real world. And we're real people with real struggles and, and real pain. And some of us have had people harm us in the most terrible of ways. And I'm not minimizing that. I'm most definitely not saying that what they did to you was your fault. So please know that I'm not trying to minimize and I'm not trying to marginalize your experience. Don't believe that for a second. Don't hear me in that way. But I'm trying to love you, especially if something's happened to you. Hear my words today. Hear me as a vessel from the Lord because I want you to be delivered. What I'm saying is along the way of what you didn't do because someone else did. Along the way of dealing with whatever happened to you, you made tons of micro decisions as you responded to that pain and circumstances. And all those micro decisions led over time to macro decisions and most likely some major rebellion because you were mad and you were in pain and you were mad at God or you're mad at them and you had major rebellion in response to what someone else did. And hear me with the greatest circumspection and the greatest gentleness, but the desire for you to hear the truth, hear me. And all of those micro decisions and all those micro rebellions and all those macro rebellions that you did in response, those are yours to own. You got to deal with them and call them what they are, their sin. And I'm not saying that to condemn you. I want you to be healed and you can't heal if you won't own your part, Christian. But if you keep attaching them to this person in that circumstance and that moment in time, you're never going to heal. You're never, ever going to heal. You have to lay down the tremendous urge to find someone to blame or some reason to blame. Don't do it. It won't deliver you. Put your hands up and just give it to God and say, I tap out. Oh, man, folks, listen. Just a few months ago, I was on the phone with an almost 30-something-year-old, and we were tracking in a conversation for a little over an hour, and, and he proceeded to just keep talking and talking, and he was taking me through all of his conditions in life and, and the reason why his life just keeps sucking and sucking and sucking and all the ways things are going wrong. And, and throughout the entire conversation, he keeps talking about this problem, he talks about that problem, and then what his parents did to him and what this person did back when he was in high school. And folks, my 
my heart was just so sad as I listened because and as soon as soon as I finished acknowledging and, and being compassionate and spirit-filled and letting him process until he was fully done, as soon as I was done validating his story and I moved the conversation to a loving and gentle spirit-filled challenge for him to now evaluate some of his personal decisions and, and problems along this journey he's been on for 10 years through so much pain, immediately... He immediately changed the subject and he began to whine and moan and complain and tell me that I don't understand him and I don't get it anymore. Oh man, and folks, I want you to know that I haven't heard from him now in, in already a couple months and this is the cycle I've been on with this person for a couple years now and it's, and it's just sad and I, and, I, and I want you to know that he's, he's self-deceived and, and he's self-absorbed and, and he's playing the blame game and, and this is a universal pandemic and it needs to stop and most definitely needs to stop and he's most definitely not alone. We have a part in that. Okay, okay so, so even today, do you really, really, really want to change and your, do you want to experience change in your life where your where your desires and, and your directions and your destinations where they change are you are you really ready are you finally ready to go from rotting over here and being stuck over there and sucking over there to actually getting into a revival mentality and a revival mode because if so here's folks here's how here's how you do it Stop blaming people. Stop blaming things. Don't ever blame again. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you don't blame anybody ever again, if you just stop doing that and you begin to deal with the log in your own eye and, and you focus on that and you get serious about that and you get fired up about that, if you, if you just start waking up every single day and saying, Lord, Lord, let's let's deal with the with the log in my own eye. I'm ready and I'm activated. I know I have to grow and I know I'm not giving things up in Holy Spirit. Help me to do that. Folks, when you do that, <gasps> revival occurs and you start you start stepping up and growing up and maturing up and armoring up and you start leading and and you become this spirit-filled leader and you and you and you become someone who's actually fun to be around and you become someone who's refreshing and, and sought after and, and vital to your community and your, and your spheres of, of influence. However, when you get in this, this, this pity party mentality and you get stuck there because things didn't go right for you and things didn't play out the way you wanted them to according to your narratives and your perfect plan didn't, didn't happen. When you get stuck because things didn't go the way you wanted it and, and if you choose not to focus on your part in that situation, it's just not going to end well for you at all. Oh, oh, okay, so, so, so here's the deal. Our happiness in life isn't determined by our circumstances, right? Uh, re repeat after me. Our happiness, no, my happiness, say my happiness is not determined by my circumstances. No, no, it's not. Instead, your happiness and my happiness in life is determined by our reaction to our circumstances. In fact, let's just put a New Testament spirit-filled verse on it because, because Paul said, I have learned in, in situations that are high and low and, and good and bad and, and big and small and tough and easy to be content. So seriously, folks, my question to you is, have you learned to be content? Because Jonah obviously has not, right? 
He just has it. And, and though this is such an unfortunate story, it just is. It's sad. I'm glad God authors it and chose to pin it down because it's true. But, but let's just follow and, and learn through Jonah's steps. Let's just keep following these steps because there's a few principles on how to arrive in depression that I want you to see. So you can, I guess you could choose to do it, but hopefully you can, you could choose to, to avoid it for, for those who, who don't want their life to suck. So, so here's where we're going to kind of look at Jonah's footsteps and we're going to kind of watch and track through that. It's going to be really important. Here we go. It's, it's on your screen. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Okay, so so your journey to a sucky life starts right here, folks, with a big fat but Jonah. But Jonah's not like but God. We talked about that, right? But the Lord, but the Lord. This is not a but the Lord. This is but Jonah. And that's the beginning to a to a sucky life. And, and hear me out. God's going to do what God's going to do, praise Christ. He, he just is, and I love that about our God. This is the Calvinistic appreciation that I've always carried about the sovereignty of God, namely that God's going to do whatever God's going to do. Like, like even though I'm, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist, I really appreciate some of the tenets here that come from that, that kind of system or way way of thinking. But but the point is, Jonah is ticked off about it, folks, and he didn't like what he saw. Jonah was, wasn't pleased with God's actions and God's dispositions, and he had other things in mind. He, Jonah just did, and he had different plans, and he had different desires that were contrary to God's. Like, does that ring true of anyone here today? Like, raise your hand if sometimes your ideas and your desires are contrary to God's. We've all been there. If we're being honest, like, have you ever had those type of emotion? Because because here's Jonah. He's he's sitting on the outside of the city while, while millions of people are having a literal celebration inside of Nineveh, and our man Jonah's outside ticked off because he because he couldn't handle it so so here's a pathway to a sucky life here it is it's it's on your screen if you want a sucky life and and you want to be let down just just keep wanting things your way and start arguing with god immediately when things go differently than the way that you want them to go. Because if you do that, you'll be right on your way, like Jonah, to displacement and disappointment and depression, folks, within your life. But, but, but when you are radically submitted to the Lord in all things, rather, rather right or wrong in, in, in your opinion or, or in my opinion, when, when your reaction to the situations um, around you don't, um, don't send you downward, but instead lift you upward to God, you're, on the, you're in the sweet spot now, folks of the Christian life. Because Jonah's despondency started with him choosing his opinions over God's, and, and that's where he went wrong. Now, now Jonah was physically where he needed to be, right? He, he was in the right physical place, like, but he wasn't where he was supposed to be spiritually. Like, like he was going through the, the motions required for the most part of what God was, was asking him to do, but he was not going through the emotions
emotions, folks, that, that were required and ultimately that, that mattered most. And, and I believe God gives us opportunities for our emotions to follow the motions that he's calling us to do. I, I believe he does that, and I believe he does that in, in really, really faithful ways and can be activated quite quickly when we're really doing what God's calling us to do and we focus on doing the right things. But because Jonah did not make it to Nineveh, right? And, and, and like on accident, he, he made it to Nineveh. Nineveh intentionally, like, like he did the, the motions and he praised God and, and he asked God to give him another opportunity. He made vows, like he went through those, those motions and he did preach a sermon in Nineveh, right? So he, he did that motion. But when it was all said and done, Jonah's heart hadn't followed his body. Are you tracking with me? Jonah's body, Jonah's, Jonah's body finally made the decision in the belly of the well to be obedient to the Lord, but Jonah's heart never left that ocean, folks. And, and that's sad. And, and the truth is, some of us need to deal with that same condition, that very same condition within our lives today. Like some of you right now, if you were being honest, you know in your heart right now today that you got physical things like you got that part worked out like you you've made the adjustments in your marriage uh mechanically like you you've made the adjustments with your kids systematically and you've made the adjustments at the at the workplace practically and you've made those adjustments with your purity uh uh environmentally so so yes 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 like we can become really really good at solving our physical world and getting our physical world back on track, right? But but listen to me. Though your physical world may be healed and your physical world may be put, put back in place and you may have your physical world looking really, really Christian and, and, and you're playing nice in your marriage and you're, and you're playing nice in your relationships and you're, and you're playing nice in your purity, pay attention. Many of our hearts, despite the outward expression of our emotions and our physical activities, our hearts are far from the Lord. And there is a deeper obedience and a deeper calling and a deeper healing and reconciliation back to the Father's heart that God has called us to in our relationships and situations and the things that we experience here on earth. Like so, so, so we can't be all motions and no spirit-filled emotions, right? So, so, so just know this: despondency and, and depression, it always begins in this way of chapter four, verse one. I'm serious. It always begins with us being exceedingly displeased about something, exceedingly uh, uh, angry about something, exceedingly not content about something that's going on. It always begins with, with you or, or me deciding what God is providing and what God is deciding and what God is doing isn't enough for you. I'm going to say this to you again. Despondency and depression always begins just like it did for Jonah in chapter 4 verse 1 with you deciding that what God is providing and what God is commanding and what God is is doing isn't enough for you and and because things haven't turned out the way you want them to you're you're stuck in a self-centered outlook and that will put you on the path folks to a sucky a really sucky life. Okay, so let's look at verse two. Like I said, I want to show you some steps again as we kind of march through this. So here it is, verse two. It's it's on your screen. 
And, and he prayed to the Lord, Jonah, and, and Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not, remember, I told you, he, he's arrogant, right? He's pissed, he's, he's mad, he's flagrant. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and a merciful God and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from Disaster. Now, now I spent significant time meditating, folks, on this verse from, from Jonah's lips manifested out of his heart when he, when he said this, because Jonah is, is going all the way back. I want you to see what he's saying here in verse 2. He's going all the way back before he preached in Nineveh, and before the belly in the well, and before Tarshish, and before Joppa. He's referring way back. Folks, Jonah is referring, you see this? all the way back to when God first spoke to him in Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? And, and basically, Jonah's saying, Lord, I, I knew from the beginning what you, I knew what you were going to do. I just knew you were going to try to do something exactly like what you've done here with these stinking Ninevites. And that's exactly why I did what I did, because I knew it, and that's why I left, and I left for Joppa. Okay. Family and friends, listen to me. Track with me. If you know in advance that the Lord is calling you to do something, whether it's right or wrong in your opinion, just do yourself a favor and do what God says. Like, do it. Otherwise, you are massively asking and inviting life to just suck for you. Okay, so, so here's, here's a second way that you can create a sucky life according to the text of verse 2. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. If you want to create a sucky life for yourself, if you want to be let down and, and just have a sucky life, simply know in advance what God is calling you to do and choose not to do it. All that, that'll get it done. Because, because the gospel truth is, Jonah wasn't confused. He wasn't, I want you to see that. Jonah was not confused in Jerusalem with what God was doing or what God was saying or what God was calling him to do. The gospel truth is Jonah just didn't like it. He just didn't like it. He didn't like the Lord's actions. He didn't like the Lord's emotions or inclinations to these people. And so if we're all being honest today, uh, there's so many times that we are not confused about what God's deciding to do in our lives. We're not confused. Folks, oftentimes we, we just don't like it. If we were honest, being honest, with ourselves. And you know, there were some really difficult seasons that, that Jillian and I have been through because of the severity of my suffering and my disability and how that all came on at a very young age when I was 26 and she was 25, folks. And it's been over a decade now. And it was, we just experienced multitudes of loss after loss after loss. And so it was difficult. It was difficult, the things that came attached to, to my story of suffering. And, and, and folks, there was a time where Jillian would particularly get so discouraged and, and so downcast about life and, and our marriage and, and, or the lack of what we could do in our marriage and, and just our overall circumstances, really. And, and I remember she would often say, I just don't understand the Lord. I don't understand what he's doing. But folks, but it wasn't until my wife, my precious wife really got honest with herself that things began to change slowly for her over time because, because the reality was Jillian, she wasn't confused about what God was doing or what, or what God was saying or what God was deciding. 
because it was it was crystal clear. You see, you see, our God, He wasn't providing the type of healing for her husband in the ways that she had been praying for and had hoped for. And folks, I stand as a testimony that I'm still not the Brandon that I was before, and I'm not I'm not even close, uh, uh, folks. God wasn't resurrecting her marriage the way it was before and the things we would do and the vacations we would take and the excursions that we would do and the ways that she deemed would be the way for us to have restoration in, in, our, in our couple's adventures or in our marriage. And, and folks, God, he wasn't ending her pain in the ways that she longed for in totality from the massive amount of losses experienced throughout these seasons and, and, and the desire she had for more family support, particularly from from her side but but here's the reality but he was talking he was talking and he was answering prayers the whole time about what he wanted her to do what he wanted jillian to do and what he wanted her to to process and and what he wanted her to do through her and and around her he he was talking because because the reality is it wasn't that my wife didn't understand god my wife knows god with all her heart but she didn't like she didn't like God's God's answer in her life and and this is a true story you can you can ask her she gave me permission to talk about this today in this sermon for the purposes of glorifying God and to to help you in in a season of suffering so so have you ever been there before i want to have real conversation have you been there before you know where you're just displeased and you're despondent and you're discouraged about what God is deciding to do and how he's acting or not acting in your life it's okay to admit that. We've been there before. I've been there before. And, and do you find yourself repackaging those emotions under the label of, I don't understand God, right? Like we do that. But, but okay, honest question. How much of your not understanding God is really at the root level a disagreement with him? I'm going to say that again. How much is the things you don't understand about God at the root level a disagreement that you have with God's, with God's decision. Because we are living in a culture that says that if we don't like something, then we don't have to deal with it. We can just remove it, cancel it. This is the cancel culture, right? Like there's always a hotline you can call. There's always a lawyer you can um, hire. So if you don't want something, we just end it. We do that in marriage. We do that in relationships. We do that with our churches. I don't like it. I end it. I cancel it. That's, that's how we live. But, but God often says, hey, how about you trust me through this marriage? How about you trust me at this church? How about you trust me in your circumstances and instead of trying to medicate and buy and argue and complain and whine and run your way out of your circumstances? But, but folks, that's not what Jonah did, right? He was self-absorbed and he had self-pity and, and those things combined are a dangerous, dangerous thing. L let me show you right here in, in verse 3. It's, it's on your screen. Therefore now, this is Jonah still talking. He, he, he's, he's lost it. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh man, are you tracking with me? Jonah wants to die. He's asking, folks, he's asked six times, to die. Six times he's thought about suicide. Six times he's wanted someone to murder. He's asked people to murder him on a boat. He's asked God to end him. This, this, is, this is a problem. 
And we got to deal with the severity of what's going on because this is true of our lives today. Now, now, how in the world did this whole situation de-escalate so quickly? I mean, our man Jonah was praising in the belly of a whale, and now he wants to die again. How did it de-escalate so quickly? I mean, <laughs> Jonah just preached to thousands and thousands of people, folks. But, but here we are again. How did we get here? Now, now I've never had the opportunity, I'm just saying right now, to preach to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people before. I've never had that kind of audience. But I'll tell you what, I have had some really cool moments to preach to hundreds and hundreds and, and a couple thousand people before. And, and I can give you the gospel truth about what I've been through. There have been times where I have did an amazing job preaching in the morning to a, a, a thousand people and then found myself disappointed and despondent that very same night or, or perhaps that next day about, about something else that was going wrong in my life. Uh, and I'm going somewhere with that. Okay, okay, track with me. So, so if that's you, and, and if we're being honest, that's, that's all of us, because we could have a high moment and a low moment all living in the same day and the same season. I, I want you to understand something. It's not the circumstance. It's your reaction to the circumstance that's getting you tripped up and trapped up. So, so here's three points that I want you to consider as a blueprint that, that will really be uh, uh, powerful for you and will help you in these moments. And we're going to think through them and consider it through the lens of Jonah. And I'm going to unpack that for you. Okay, so here's the first one. Three points I want to walk through. Here it is. Number one, Jonah <laughs> was not truly reconciled to God's will. He had the motions, but he lacked the emotions. Folks, it's so important to not believe just because your physical world looks like God and smells like God and tastes like God and think that it's reconciled to God. Your emotions, meaning the things that matter most to you, your inclinations, your desires, our God on high is after that transformational Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 posture towards that, not just your behavior. I, I can't tell you how many times I've dealt with this in pastoral counseling where the wife or the husband in a marriage therapy session saying like, I am doing it. I am serving my husband. I am doing this for my wife. I, I don't know what you want from me. And I, and, I, and I will try with great, great care to say, I hear about the motion, but what I discern in this meeting is that your emotions are gone or they're subdued or they're caged away. you got to heal emotionally and not just give your spouse the motions. But this happens with our relationship with God, right? We, we get into these patterns and these systems of living motionally, but not with emotions that match our Heavenly Fathers. And so we have to be, we have to be careful about that. Okay, number two, Jonah had forgotten God's mercy and how far he had to reach to deliver Jonah from his circumstances. And folks, this is a dangerous, dangerous place to fall into. Like, like when we are, we, we, we really stay near to God when we know we've jacked up and we've messed up, right? And, and we're, we're really humble and meek in those moments. But, but what happens is as we walk away from that season of difficulty and we walk away from that season of wayward rebellion, we forget. 
We forget who we were and, and how we act and, and the things that we said, and we become arrogant, and we start to look at other people's specs, and we forget about the logs in our own eyes. And so part of deepening out and being a mature Christian is, is not to be filled with shame about your past anymore, meditating on it, but, but yet holding it in tension as a way to remember the mercies that have been lavished upon your life so that you can push forward with the emotion that God's calling you to when someone else steps before you in sin or rebellion. Like Jonah literally had forgotten how many things he did wrong and all the prayers that were all the praise and um excuse me prayers that he had lifted up in the belly of the well for all his sin and had he held on to that and allowed that to be living and reigning through him as he arrived to the Ninevites perhaps Jonah would have done a better job to imitate to imitate God. Okay, here's here's number 3. Jonah didn't evidently know God as much as he thought he did. And, and this is a very sobering thing for you to consider. Do you know your God? Like, like, are you surprised by this series? Are you surprised about what you're hearing? And, and if you are, there's no shame in it, but I want you to know that you need to get to know your God more. Radically, radically get to know your God. Because this is not some ancillary, supplemental, uh, peripheral thing that we're learning in Jonah. This is the very nature of our God. It's the center, core, masterpiece of who he is. And, and Jonah evidently didn't know that. Because when he got to Nineveh, he was like, what's going on? I don't want to do this, right? And so I want to encourage you as your pastor or, or as a guest speaker, if you're listening to this from another church, that, that you would lean in and say, I want to know my God and I'm going to go and I'm going to go after knowing him anymore. Okay, let's keep tracking now to verse four and five. We have so much more to still look at. Okay, here it is. Here's the word of the Lord. And so the Lord replied and he said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, this is the question that God said. Jonah doesn't even respond. Verse 5, Jonah just leaves and went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, till he should see what would become of that city. Man, folks, and here we see Jonah making three critical mistakes. Three critical mistakes right here in the text that I'm going to unpack for you, and, and I want to show you that right now. Here's the first one. The, the first critical mistake he makes is he quits being a prophet. He made a critical, critical mistake. Folks, because of his disposition, because God wasn't answering him the way he wanted, and God wasn't moving the way, the way Jonah wanted him to move, Jonah quit being who God called him to be. And, and that's a dangerous thing, folks. And, and I can tell you as a pastor of almost 16 years now, this is a dangerous problem that, that Satan shoots like a fiery dart at us to take us off course. And, and have you done that before? Like, have you been so upset with God or, or someone else or a circumstance? Has someone hurt you to the point where you say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this Christian thing. I'm not going to go to church and I'm going to quit the call that God's put on my life where I'm going to just not do it for a season. I, I, I can't interact with it right now, Pastor Brandon. I'll, I'll deal with it later. Folks, it's a critical mistake when you stop doing the thing God's called you to do because of a person or a circumstance or a place or anything else or your own self-entitlement and self-absorption um, um, and your self-deception uh, because things aren't going the way you want them to go. Here's, here's a second critical mistake he made. Jonah, he began to isolate. He began to isolate. This is a critical, critical mistake that happens when we get depressed, despondent, 
frustrated, hostile with either God or someone else in our life. That's particularly when we feel wrong to hurt. We pull away from relationship. It's been proven psychologically. When you feel wounded and you feel hurt from in your marriage or, or with your kids or your kids to you as the parent or especially with our God, we pull away and we isolate. Don't do that. Don't do. Don't ever isolate. When you isolate, you pull yourself away from the spirit-filled cosmic power. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6, God's power, his, his might that's available to us, we pull ourselves away from that. And when we isolate away from community, we remove ourselves from spirit-filled individuals who can speak rhema into our situations. Jonah removed himself and he isolated and he's setting himself up, folks, for a demise. We, we can't do that. Here's, here's number three. Jonah became a spectator. Oh man, can't you see what's happening? First you stop doing what God's calling you to do. Then you isolate and then you sit. You just sit there and you watch life go by. We, we learn in Ephesians that you go into a spiritual slumber where, where Paul says in Ephesians, oh, wake, oh, sleeper, don't, don't do that. But oftentimes, folks, what I want you to know is that when you arrive in a slumber, it's because you first quit doing what, what God called you to do. Then you isolated yourself away from people that could help you get back on track. And then you just became a spectator, a spectator. And, and that's not what God's calling you. To do right now. So if you're stuck right now and you're and you're in a quitting posture because of something that's happening, hey, I want you to confess that. I want you're gonna have an opportunity at the end of the sermon. I want you to confess that and I want you to step into revival. If if you're in a place of isolation right now, I want you to confess that at the end of the sermon. And I want you to experience revival. If you're a spectator, you're just watching. I want you to get back in the game. I want you to confess that. And I want you to experience revival. Okay, okay, so 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 how does God respond when we quit on our call and we quit on our mission and we isolate ourselves and we become a spectator? Because Jonah did all three of these critical critical mistakes. What does God do when we exercise these three, these three critical mistakes? Well, obviously, we get a spirit-filled spanking and he knocks us out and he starts yelling at us and he sends us to hell, right? <laughs> No, 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 that's not what God does. But, but verse 6 does tell us what he does. Let's, let's look at it. It's, it's on your screen. Now the Lord God appointed a rod. The now, now, the, now the Lord God appointed a, a, a switch. No, 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 no. The Lord God, he appointed a, a punishment. No, no, no. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Oh man, eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your minds so clear. Okay, so, so, so just do me a favor. Please don't leave. Don't you dare leave this sermon thinking about this plant and the mystical realities of it. Don't do that. Instead, I want you to focus on something significantly and infinitely more important. Like, like what are you going to do? What are you going to do regarding our culture and our nation and, and our government as, as an individual-minded culture right now when it comes to your life moving forward? Like, like I want you to focus on personal revival, folks, and, and focus on living a, a life of, of daily repentance. Repentance and, and, and utilize these, these kind gestures from the Lord. Like, do you see what God's doing? Jonah stepped away from his call. 
he quit on his call, he isolated himself, and then from isolating himself, he became a spectator, and God is blessing him, and God is blessing. If you open your Christ-centered headlights, and you flash them on, and you look with great circumspection at what the God on high is doing in your life, you're going to see, even in the muck and the mire, that he's still blessing you, because you know you got relationships that you don't deserve anymore, but God keeps them in your life, and you got things, you have access to your children, though you've really screwed up, but your children still love you anyway, and and you got access to your parents, even though you shouldn't anymore because of what you did, and you are in a marriage that you know you don't deserve, but God gave that to you anyway, and you're living the life that you have, and you don't deserve it, but God is doing it anyway, and we've been called to live daily and repentance, understanding that all these kind gestures that we confuse with the normalcy and the mundane things of life are gifts from God. They're gifts from God. But because when you decide not to repent, when you decide not to repent and to take what God's lavishing on you as a blessing from Him, and yet you just want to appreciate, though. You do want to appreciate all these kind gestures. Uh, thank you, God, when this happens. Thank you, God, when that happens. Thank you. And so when you live a life of no repentance, but always so happy when God blesses you, let me tell you what happens. God provides a worm. That's what He does. God blesses us, and God does kind gestures to move us to a place of repentance. We just saw that in the text earlier in the sermon. And so, so God provides a worm for us. And God provides all of this, right? The worms and the storms and the wells in order to get our attention, just like he was getting Jonah's attention. And he does the same things today if, if we open our eyes to our, our Heavenly Father's his movements. But, but, but remember, this book is, is not really about even uh, Nineveh, right? It's not really about Nineveh because uh, in Nineveh, there's a massive revival going on. So this, remember we said in, the, in, the, in part one, like, it's not about Nineveh, though it's mentioned 18 times. It's, it's not about it. Let me, let me show you. There's a massive revival going on. Millions of Do you know how many people? Millions? Like, have you ever seen the Dallas Cowboys and the the, the, the the magnitude of all those fans going crazy? That's in the thousands, okay? Millions of people that were filled with rotten, evil, sadistic, hook through your cheek, through your collarbone type of sin. They just became believers on this day, folks. But, but what's crazy is we don't have any record at all of what immediately transpires next. We don't. We don't get to hear about all the Bible studies they started having and, and all the worship services they started throwing up and, and the Christian conferences and, and the church plants. We don't get all the details about what happened with their new faith. We get no accounts of anything like that because the Ninevites are not the point. They're not the point. But let me tell you what we do get. What we do get is a focus scene, a camera that moved immediately off of the revival of Nineveh to what was happening outside of this massive celebration. And, and that's crazy to me because there's this Hollywood feature film level grandeur and, and climatic like effect going on in the city. I mean, the, the, the Hollywood scene of a million people rejoicing and having a revival sounds like the Hollywood money shot to take, yet the camera moves to the outside of the city with one man having a conversation with God in the desert. Like, think about that playing out in a movie, like how anticlimactic would that be to be in this massive scene and, just, and it's just God talking to one man. It's almost like God was saying, I know, I know there's millions of people saying no, 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 no to their old life and their sin. And yes, yes, 
Yes, Lord, but but their portion of the story is over now. And and, and we're we're often like, uh, uh, how can that be, God? How can that be? What happened to the kids? And what happened to the teenagers? And 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 how do the parents uh, navigate reteaching them into this new spirit-filled disposition? And and what about the physical healing? Did, did physical healing happen like like Jesus did in the New Testament? And I, I want to know more. What what happened? What happened next? But but God's like their story. Their story is over. What I have done for them is is, is clearly seen here in the text of, of, of Jonah. And and this story is, is is about me displaying my my love and my compassion. That's that's the point of the story. And and that's why I'm changing the movie scene now to away from the Nineveh to to the character of Jonah. Because the Ninevites are gonna be fine now. So so their story is over. They've experienced my compassion and they've experienced my my pursuit. They're secure in me. But the story about my compassion and the story about my pursuit for those who need it most is my main focus. Therefore, my story here in Jonah must continue and leave the city. So, so now we're moving the camera outside of the walls of, of um, we're moving to the outside walls of, of Nineveh because I still have someone out here where, that is not experiencing revival. So my story must continue. Man, so 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 here goes our God. Now a couple million more people strong, praise Christ. Like, folks, he just built a one million plus army for the Christian war. And yet, here is our God quietly and compassionately going after the one. He's going after the one. Are you are you kidding me? So again, for all you exclusive New Testament lovers out here that love to lift up Jesus and make little of our Father, hey, stop that. Stop that right now. Don't, don't you talk about God like that. Don't you dare say about God that he's not compassionate and that he's not the King of kings and the Lord of lords and everything he does with perfected love. Don't you talk like that. Jesus doesn't like you talking like that about his father. The Bible doesn't like you talking like that about its creator. And you need to stop talking like that yourself. Because Jesus is known in the New Testament for being the one who leaves the 99 to save the one. And praise Christ for that imagery, right? That Jesus is the great shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one. We, we praise God for that because he is a, Jesus is a, a really, really good shepherd. But our God, our Abba Father is being shown right here in the text, right here in the text of the Old Testament, right here in the book of Jonah. Our God is being shown as the one who leaves the millions for the one outside the city, praise Christ. He's, he's leaving a party where millions of people are worshiping him and celebrating him, yet he's leaving the city to pursue the one who can't even stand him. Talk about a God who doesn't need people's opinions and people's approval or, or any need to find significance in our praise. God is sufficient in himself, which allows him to leave millions of people who are worshiping him for the one who can't even stand him. So, so yes, 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 we lift up Jesus as the, as, as the great shepherd who, lose the, who leaves the 99 for the one. But don't you dare ever forget right here in the book of Jonah that our God on high left millions to go pursue the one. And I love that. Oh, man, God's ways, God's orders, God's design, God's intentionality, God's providence, God's ability to communicate 
his love. But, but unfortunately, Jonah is so selfish and he's so self-absorbed that, that he can't get it. Let's, let's keep reading to the conclusion now of the book. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, namely Jonah, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, but should I not pity Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 children with no choice, no choice on the matter. Wow. Our man Jonah is so confused about what matters most, and it's so sad, and it's, a, and it's so tough to see this. Like, really, Jonah? Really? You are really caring caring, and, and having pity on a plant, and you can't find it within your heart to have pity for these human beings as God has laid out all these children being impacted by this. You can't find it within yourself, Jonah, to engage with the Lord about what matters most. Really, Jonah? And, and, and maybe you're not engaged with the Lord either. Just to be honest, maybe you're here physically, but, but you're not truly engaged with the Lord spiritually. Maybe you are living a life of emotions and, and no spirit-filled emotions. Like, like maybe there's no sweetness left in your heart at all. You just, you just have a few verses memorized and, and, you, and you just do the bare minimum to make sure you don't look like a weirdo when you, when you go to church. And, and maybe you figured out how to play this whole Christianese game right and, and, and you know where to, kind of, where to park and where the church starts and, and how to do some of those gospel-centered barks out of your mouth. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you know how to drop some big pastor's names and, and drop some big words like justification and salvation and, and baptism and, and things like that. Maybe, but maybe you're not really engaged in a real way with with the Lord at all. Okay, so here's what I want to ask you. Why? Why? Why are you not engaged with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul with this God, our God on high? Why are you not engaged? Like, is it because your plant died? I'm asking you, is it because your plant died? Because, because that's, that's the logic that God is, is trying to get Jonah to see. And rest assured, he is doing that same logic for you and me today. Like, like are you really not going to engage with God because of what your parents did to you? Are, are you really not going to engage with God because of what your friends did or what they said about you in college? Like, like are you really not going to engage with God because of what that person did to, behind your back? Really? Are you really, really not going to engage with God because of what that person um, took from you without your permission? Like, like are you really not going to engage with God because of your financial troubles? What's going on here? Are you really not going to engage with God because of your marriage problems? So, so you're not going to engage with God because of that. Okay. Are you really not going to engage with God because you lost your job? <laughs> Folks, are you really prepared to not engage with God because of a plant? Are you kidding me? Okay, like, like, hear me clearly. I know your situation most likely, in, 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 in most cases, is going to be more serious than a plant. But family, it doesn't make any sense to disengage with God because you don't like your circumstances. Think about that. It's not logical. Listen, in light of who God is and in light of what God is doing and in light of what you're learning in this series about what God wants to do for you and how God wants to provide for you, can you make the decision today, right now in your life, listen to me, can you make the decision today to faithfully before the Lord say, 
Listen, I don't fully know how I got here, Lord. I, I don't know why I've arrived and I'm so shut down and I don't know why I'm so down and disengaged anymore, but I acknowledge that I'm not fully here spiritually. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to tap out. I'm not fully here spiritually and I'm not fully here emotionally. There's parts of my walk that's just emotions and no emotions. Like, can you just can you just tell the Lord that today? You're going to have an opportunity at the end of the sermon to do this because if you're open today and, and, and I want to land the plane with 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 five things you can do because if you're open today today could be the day that you draw a mighty spirit-filled circle around yourself and experience revival i want you to be back on track with the lord okay so so i'm going to give you five wise pastoral things um, that will help you to live in constant revival no arrival but constant revival through the through the wet through the wells and and the beaches and the storms that you're going to inevitably experience, folks, in in your life. Okay, so 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 here we go. But 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 no arrival stuff. Okay, don't you dare use these five things as a as a place for you to get stuck, burn, and crash trying to arrive in these five things. You can't. Don't you use these five things wrongly. These are to help you experience constant revival. Okay, here we go. Number one. Number one. Here it is. Choose to accept your situation and take responsibility for it. And, and it may not be your fault, but it is your direct responsibility to do something about it. I'm going to say that again. It may not have been your fault, but it is your direct responsibility to do something about it. And, and you need to get that. So, so how you handle it now and how you proceed forward today, that's ultimately what matters to the Lord. What you do from here, folks, and and what you do, and what you do next. Okay, here's here's number two. Repent. Change directions, right? Stop and turn around and go to the resources of God and not the world. Don't you turn to the world to fix your problems. Hey, don't don't drink it away. Don't pop pills to make it go away. Don't don't sleep it away. Don't go engage in sexual things to make it go away. Don't read it away with your romance books. Do not, do not, do not turn to the world when you are struggling the way back to a place of contentment and satisfaction and being exceedingly pleased with the Lord, folks, is to turn back to the resources of God that are found and nestled in the Word of God and in in the community that He's provided you in the context of a local church. That is where you're going to experience revival. Don't don't forget that. Okay, let's keep let's keep tracking number number three. Man, I want to unpack these more, but we got to keep going. Protect yourself by renewing your mind and stop the stinking thinking. Or or another way of think, saying it is start by renewing your mind and stop overthinking every single thing and trust God. Trust God. Trust God. Trust God with your life and your circumstances. You got to trust the belt of truth when God says he will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. That that he's a God of intentionality. That in Ephesians, he says that before the foundation of the world, he chose you and he chose you for a plan and a purpose and that he is going to see it finished in you on the day of resurrection. So we live believing that. Stop the stinking thinking and renew your mind in the word, in the word the precious word of God. Here's, here's number four. Get help. Don't do it alone. Establish 
a team. The first step is you got to get help when you're really stuck and you're really stalled and you're really stagnant. You got to get help. Don't be a mighty superhero. Don't think you got this on your own. I've been there. It's not good. <laughs> Don't do it alone. Don't isolate yourself. Establish a mighty spiritual team of accountability and pastoral support and, and family and friendships that can help you weather the storms. Because remember, you're not going to arrive in anything here on earth, but you will have the opportunity in Christ to be revived when, not if, when the beaches and the storms come for you. Have a team in place. Have, have help ready to go. It's too late, folks, when the storm gets there. If you, don't, if you don't create relationships, you need to create relationships and establish a team so that when the beach comes, everybody is knowing their part and they armor up and they surround you with spirit-filled love. Okay, here's, here's the last one, number five. Serve others immediately in your circumstances and without delay. Never stop giving. Never stop serving. And do it quickly as unto the Lord. Do it as an imitator of Christ. Folks, the worst thing you can do because of your shame or your sin or your beaches or your storms is to stop using these Christ-centered hands to do Christ-centered work. Don't do it. The great scheme, the great methodio of, right, in the Greek of, of saying is to get your hands to stop contributing and to get your shoes of gospel peace to stop activating. Never stop serving. Never stop giving. And always be an ambassador of God. Don't you dare let your past or your shame or your sin convict you to the point where you think that you can't be a mighty warrior in the kingdom of God. Don't you dare let anyone's opinion of you, no matter what you've done in the past, stop you from living with your head up high as a spirit-filled man or woman of God. You always, always can contribute to God's kingdom. That's what we get with all those blessings he, he lavished on us um, that we learned about radically, radically in in Ephesians, okay, and and we're about to we're about to land the plane. So so I don't have much more time left to unpack and, and develop this this last thought that's that's really really important. But because this is our last sermon at Redemption City Church as we know it today, and I want to bless you with this as as we exit. Okay, when Jesus when he walked the earth, he chose to bring the story of Jonah up. Did you know that? In the New Testament, he did this. He, folks, he could have brought up so many stories from all kinds of biblical narratives, yet Jesus, he chose to bring up this story of Jonah and the Ninevites. And, and Jesus was preaching to his people that were responding in a different way at that time. And, and, and Jesus said, guys, okay, so there's a story about the Ninevites and how they responded in a different way than what you're responding right now, so fix it. And, and I want you to know um, here today in your presence is one that is greater than even, than even Jonah. Oh, oh man, now, now that's so important because Jonah is here for, for you and, and for me to study and to resolve to go in a different way than him, okay? That's why, that's why we're reading Jonah is to understand that we want to go in a different way than Jonah. Jonah represents who we all need to be particularly careful to ensure that we walk away from being. But, but Jesus, he steps on the scene in the New Testament and says, not only did God the Father love the Ninevites so much that he sent Jonah as a prophet, 
But he sent me, his one and only son, to save Nineveh and to save you and to save those who are going to come after you. And folks, that should cause us to look at Jesus within our own apathy and despondency and depression and say, I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to live broken. I don't have to live despondent. I don't have to live self-absorbed and self-entitled because one that's greater than Jonah is here now, praise Christ. Because, because Jonah was just a springboard. That's all Jonah was. Jonah was the springboard. He was the, the trailer to the, to the main event, the sequel, which was the main attraction in Jesus. And Jesus came. Uh, I'm going to preach Christ into the Old Testament now. And Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice for you and for me and for the Ninevites and for all people. The blood covered that because we're all Jonah. We're all Jonah. You get that, right? And, and I know that I've been throwing our man Jonah under the bus really hard in this series, but I want you to know that we're all, we're all a bunch of Jonah's. But listen to me. Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't like Jonah. He's Jesus is not like you and he's not like me. And if you stop looking at yourself all the time, and you stop choosing your stuff and you stop being so self-absorbed and you stop being so self-focused, if you open your eyes and you look at the cross and you look at Jesus and his heart and his steps and his intentionality and you watch his movements, if you pay very close attention with great circumspection and realize that all of Jesus' movements in the New Testament are a simple reflection of God's movements in, in the Old Testament, if you do all of that, you'll see your life being lifted out of despondency and out of depression and into a life that's worthy to be lived don't you want to live fully, my Christian brothers and sister? Because a life worth living is a life reconciled back to your heavenly Father. You have to deal with the God of the Old Testament because the whole point of your existence and the point of what Jesus did on the cross was to bring you back to Him. Because He's it, folks. He is heaven. We're not going to heaven for the golden gates. We're not going to heaven for blessings. And we're not going to heaven to see our grandma and our grandpapa when we get there. We're going to heaven because God's there. Because our daddy's there. He's the point. He's the ticket. He's the reason for every season. It's about God, God, God. Because that's what Jesus meant when he asked us to follow him. When Jesus said, follow me, pick up your cross daily and follow me, he was asking us to follow him back to the Father, to, to follow him back home to the Father of great compassion. And he was granting us an opportunity to join our Father, to join our Father in it. Okay, let's pray. Father, as we finish this book and we consider your sovereignty and, and your handiwork, I pray with all my heart and all my my energy and with my full body that I have represented you well today and throughout this entire series. Lord, I have tried with all my heart to glorify you in this series, leaving no stone uncovered. May you bless my efforts through the testimony of these people and the change that happens in 
their lives. And, and when we think about the belly of the whale that you allowed Jonah to experience because of his own sin and, and his own rebellion, I thank you, Lord, for the illustration of your relentless love for him. Not wrath, but, 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 but an opportunity, a second chance. You're the God of, of second chances. And I, and I thank you for pointing to the cross instead of a sword. Lord, I thank you for the imagery of Jonah being in the belly of a well for three days, which, which was pointing as a shadow picture to what would come 800 years later when our king, our, our warrior, Jesus, went to the center of the earth and was buried there for three days for our rebellion and our sin, God. And, and though Jonah ended terribly, I thank you for shining the radiant sun throughout the sky all throughout this difficult book about who you are. So as gloom and doom as this book is from Jonah's position, this book was radiant about who you are, God. And, and Jesus, in your name now, we thank you for what you've done. And, and, and we're here today, Lord, each of us with, with our own situations and our own pain. And God, some of us are plagued with sin and other physical illness. And so the pain, God, oh God, as a lead pastor, the pain, the pain in this room, I can feel it is palpable, the things we go through, the things we've been through. So Jesus, I'm praying that people would resolve to, to trust you and to lean into you and to worship and engage with you. Not, not just to be here physically at church, but that they would want more, more in their emotions and not just the motions. So, so, so if there's anyone right now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I promise you uh, there was going to be an opportunity. Because if you quit like Jonah being a prophet, meaning if you've quit doing the things that God's called you to do and you're not stepping up in your marriage and you're not being who God's called you to be as a father or a mother or as a child, if you're not being and walking in the story that God's giving you, you have an opportunity to say, God, I tap out. I'm looking up and I want revival. And if that's you, I want you, I want you to stand up where you're at. It doesn't matter who's around you. It doesn't matter who's looking. And it doesn't matter if you're by yourself in your bedroom. You stand up as a sign of faith and attention right now. And, and if you and if you're isolated, you've isolated yourself, even if you're around 90 people, but you know in your heart that you've isolated who you are because you're broken and you're mad and you're bitter and you're just grinding through life, you can step into revival right now. It's not a movie. It's life right now. You could draw a spirit-filled circle around yourself and tap out and say, Lord, I'm ready for my revival. If that's you, stand up. Don't delay. And, and if you become a spectator and you, and you know you're looking at everyone doing things, but you're not engaging, stand up. Stand up. And, and let's do this today. So, so, so listen, as you stand up boldly and, and eyes are, our eyes are bowed, I want you to lift your hands in obedience right now to the Lord. You lift them up and I want you to start saying audibly, I want more of you, God. Say it. I want more of you, God. Just start saying, I want more, Jesus. I want more, Jesus. Say it over and over again and mean it from the bottom of your heart. So, so if you're wanting more intimacy and, and more spiritual intimacy and more love and more peace, confess it. 
put a name on it. Say, I want more peace. I want more love. I, I want more unity. I, I want less pain. Tell God. He's, he's big enough. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you want. Confess it. Confess your sin. Confess it. If, if you can't confess it out loud and it's not appropriate, then confess it in your heart with your hands lifted. Confess. Confess right now. And and, and Lord, Abba Father, may we all look to the plants that you provide for our shade, God. Don't you dare let us not lift you up and glorify you for those plants, those the, meaning those people and those situations and, and the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the kindness that these people offer us as the instruments of who you are. When you step into our circumstances, we thank you, Lord, and we attribute every earthly blessing and, and every relational blessing and every mentor and pastoral blessing. It's all you, God. You're the target. And, and may we remember who we were and what you've done for us. May we come to the conclusion that we really don't have any reason to be mad at anything at all about what you do. Don't you dare let us walk anymore being bitter about how you save others. Get that out of here in the name of Jesus. And may you take our pain and may we bring it into subjection to you. May we not allow these fears of our sin to just rule and reign all throughout us, God. No more. So, so those who are struggling with sin issues, we rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And we say, oh, we're going to be armored up and we're not going to be self-absorbed. In that area, in the financial, physical, emotional, relational significance, all the spheres. God, we pledge today that we want a revival, which means that we want to step out of our comfort zone. We want to step out of our focus disproportionately on, on our struggles, and we want to step into the stuff that you have before us. And, and may we come to a conclusion today about who you are. Oh, God. So, so listen, brothers and sisters, everyone who's so if you're standing right now and your eyes are bowed and your arms are lifted up, just tell God what, what, what you're feeling and, and what you want and what you need. Come on, keep talking to him. This is your time. No blaming, okay? Keep talking, but no bl don't blame people and don't blame situations. It's just you and God right now. No one else exists. You and God. Submit your story right now. Every part of it to God and declare, Jesus, I'm acknowledging my story and it is what it is, but I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to move forward from the place that I'm in. And Abba Father, I thank you. I thank you for carrying this church from 2019 to this point. But God, I actually, I actually thank you for carrying this church in my heart when you gave it to me in 2016 when I couldn't even walk. And I sat in my own self-absorption. And I sat entitled and and bitter and upset because of uh, my displeasure with how you how you were showing up for me in my suffering and and the lack of action that you were taking yet you gave me a plant and that plant was a vision and that vision was redemption city church and there was a three year four year gap god between when you told me that and when you brought it into fruition and may i walk forward and may your people walk forward trusting that no matter how long the gaps of silence may appear to be you're always moving you're always acting on our behalf you've been so gracious and so kind and so patient to me as as your shepherd and 
as our church comes to a, a temporary close or perhaps even a permanent ending in, in this way, I pray that we would arise out of the ashes of our story into the beautiful light of your redemption plan that goes in us and through us and beyond us, far beyond what we could even know. And I pray that we would go, we would go, we would go do the things you're telling us to do and that we would call out that our God is good and that he most definitely is loving. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Redemption City Church, for tracking with me and entrusting me with the word that comes to you every single Sunday. Thank you. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my Redemption City Church, we did it. 